Hello, passengers, and welcome to the Midnight Train, America's second favorite podcast where we bring the dark to light and where history never dies. I like it. That's right. And, of course, where listener discretion is always advised. I could probably make a rap out of that. Do it. I might be able to do that. Uh, hold on. Let me think real quick. It's already derailing and we're like this far into it. <laughs> 15 seconds in. Where history never dies and where listener discretion is advised. You know what I mean? I could, totally, I could do something cool. with that. I could. Oh, I'm about to make you sick as a fucking Maybe intro. Maybe ne- next week we might have a new intro. Oh, we definitely want to have history intro. never dies. Say what? Say what? <laughs> what? <laughs> and we lost all our listeners. Anyway. <laughs> so, of course, we love to make fun of and joke about the creepy and unsolved mysteries of the world, all while bringing you as much information on each topic as possible. Hey, guess what? We're a comedy podcast if you're new here, and things can get pretty dark from time to time, especially today's episode. So if you're not into that, listen, no hard feelings. We don't try to, you know, purposely disparage anybody, especially victims or anything, because that is atrocious, and we don't do that. Correct. Now, we may, we'll may make fun of the assholes that do the, the bad stuff. Oh, for sure. Because, well... Fuck them. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Anyway, so if you are new here welcome yeah hi and if you're not hey welcome back yeah. so glad to be wiggling in your ear hole right now that's weird isn't it weird to say it that, <laughs> that way so yeah, weird. Yeah, but, but i am exactly hey listen i am your host the conductor of the cryptic jonathan sayer and with me of course back in the co-host chair is my son logan yay hi, yay guys. glad to be here just going to say, starting off real fast here, um, a couple of uh, quick announcements, and then we will get rolling into the episode. It is going to be a pretty dark episode, uh, not that we haven't done those before, but this one has some pretty rough stuff in it, like, yeah, truthfully, bit. it does. And, you know, on the Patreon, we definitely get a lot darker when it comes to things. Typically, mm-hmm. not that dark here, but this one's kind of rough, just so you know, and I'm just throwing it out there, so if you guys maybe want to miss this one, I get it, but, I mean, it's not like, it's not, it's not. It's bad, but it's, <laughs> you know what I mean? But we don't go into too much detail. We'll put yeah. it that way, you know? We try to keep it as... Right. Um, yeah. Secondly, um, if you are a Patreon subscriber, I want to apologize for last week's Patreon episode. That was... Uh, <laughs> I'm not apologizing. That shit was funny as hell. It was funny. I just, I, I don't know. I just hope we didn't offend anybody by that. Yeah, um, because, did, let us know. I mean, there was nothing like offensive in there or, you know, I mean, I guess it depends on how you take. A, no, they're fine. Yeah. They listen to us. They know what it's. They, they, uh, yeah. It's just anyway, I sat there the day after and I'm like, hmm. And immediately afterwards, <laughs> I was like, okay. It's, it's <laughs> extremely vulgar. I'll just put it that way. Not as vulgar. No, it's actually more vulgar than the history of the swear words. Yes, it was. Yeah. It's definitely vulgar. Yeah. It's definitely yeah. vulgar. So I'm just saying, apologies if you guys didn't like that, and if you did, that's why you're my type of people. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> and if you're not a Patreon member, get over there and sign up because uh, it's it's pretty fun. And the Halloween episode's coming up. And guess what? October the 24th baby oh, yeah. it's a tuesday and we're gonna be doing it in the evening we're gonna be all creeped out it's gonna be on video and it's specifically for our patreon listeners yeah. our first class passengers all right that's right that's right so make sure you guys are signing up be a part of that and uh on the last thing i would say is, is since we are headed to japan today yeah we're drinking a japanese whiskey Ooh. that's right we are drinking uh, uh hatazaka Hatozaki, right? Yeah. Hat- Hatozaki. Hatozaki. I got to get into this because there's a lot of that going on in this episode. <laughs> and it is a, uh, it is a 
finest Japanese whiskey. It is actually pretty good. It's pretty good. It's smooth. It's like almost clear. It's weird. It is very weird. Yeah. It almost looked like a rice wine at first. And yeah. I was like, what? It's like they aged it for 20 minutes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'll oh, just get it out. Just get it out. It's fine. All right. So that's it. That's enough of the stuff. All right. We're going to get into this the, this episode. It's 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 <laughs> it's tricky. Yeah. Yeah, it's tricky. Yeah, tricky. A lot of a lot of words. And listen, that's another thing. If you are new here, you probably uh, don't know that um, I don't. We don't do any editing, really. Uh, everything's just kind of what we do. So it's not like we're going to sit there and kind of fix everything. So and, we are off the cuff. And my mouth tends to hate me a lot. So and my brain works a lot faster than my mouth does, or vice versa. So if you're not cool with me messing words up, well, there's a 15 second skip button. <laughs> But I do my best. I try. I try my hardest. That's all that matters. All right. All right. So let's get into this damn episode. All right. Let's let's just turn down the lights, adjust our seats, grab some uh, hatozaki, and let's not get torturous. (laughs) I guess we have to. All right. But first, here's a toast. All of you beautiful motherfuckers. So yeah, I'm going to say it in uh, the entire time that I've been doing this show, uh, about what, three, three and a half years now? Yeah. yeah. Um, there hasn't been a lot that's made me uneasy. The, the, the research for this episode kind of made me uneasy. And I don't know, you'll find out why. Not only is the stuff that happened real bad. But what happens at the end? What happens at the end is way, way, way worse. See what you did there? That was ominous. You like that? Oh, just wait till I get the... (laughs) (laughs) All right, so we're talking about Unit 731. Yeah. All right. I love them. Right. Unit 731 is a hardcore metal band formed in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania in 2005. The band combines death metal, hardcore, and slam to create a heavy and chaotic sound for which Pittsburgh bands are notable. Their influences include Dying Fetus, All Out War, Irate, and Built Upon Frustration. Wait, so how Wait, come? wait, wait. We're Japanese whiskey, dude. What the... F- dude, did you give me the wrong notes? If I would have known we were doing freaking Unit 731, I would have got Moonshine. Why? Because they're from Pittsburgh. (laughs) (laughs) You bunch of hillbillies. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I love Pittsburgh. I mean, I'm not a Steelers fan. No. But the city itself is awesome. Dude, yeah. And of course, that's not what the hell I'm talking about, all right? The Unit 731 we're here to talk about is uh, short for Manchu Detachment 731, Mm. right? It was a covert biological and chemical warfare research and development unit of the Imperial Japanese Army that participated in lethal human experimentation and the production of biological weapons during the second Sino or Sino? Is it Sino or Sino? I think it's Sino. Sino? Sino. Japanese War from 1937 to 1945 and World War II. Now, I didn't know a whole lot about this. Yeah. And then when I heard about it, I'm like, what? Yeah, it was weird because there's a lot of countries that participated in World War II, obviously, because it was World War. And a lot of... It wasn't called Backyard War II. 
They should have that. That would be kind of cool. <laughs> but a lot of the countries all had very similar units that did experimentation on people. Some people will leave out because we already know who they are. Other people we actually don't know a whole lot about. Talking about that bastard. Yeah. <laughs> that piece of shit. <laughs> the shite. That fucking guy that never calmed me. <laughs> fucking hate that guy. But Unit 731 is definitely one of the worst. Yeah, um, it, it's pretty rough, too. And there's going to be a lot of similarities that you're going to hear um, as far as when it comes to what the Nazis uh, did and during uh, you know the Holocaust and everything else. But you also got to remember, too, that this is actually before yeah that's what makes it a lot worse well not just that and we'll get into it uh there's a lot of things that make this worse in my opinion i'm just saying and i'm not negating no not what transpired at all it was all bad right this just took a whole another step further all bad (laughs) so unit 731 was based in the ping fang district of harbin the largest city in the japanese puppet state of men um ah, manchu manchukua yep that feels right yeah Manchukuo's government was dissolved in 1945 after the surrender of Imperial Japan at the end of World War II. The territories claimed by Manchukuo were uh, first seized in the Soviet invasion of Manchuria in August of 1945 and then formally transferred to the Chinese administration in the following year. Okay, we got all that? Yeah. Okay. For those of you wondering, uh, well, what in the Jim Henson hell is a puppet state? Well, according to Wikipedia, a puppet state, quote, is a state that is legally recognized as independent but in fact completely dependent upon an outside power and subject to its orders puppet states have nominal sovereignty but a foreign power effectively exercises control through financial interest and economic or military support we kind of talked about that and uh with the uganda episode if i'm not mistaken yeah well the united states also had some puppet states during the cord uh, cord, cord war <laughs> what happened there we had a war about cords that was weird. We still are. It's a USB-C lightning cable war right now. Yeah. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, I did hear about that, Yeah, too. the EU finally, like, slammed Apple for... Yeah, using... they're like, stop it! Yes. <laughs> We're being different. Yeah, stop it. So we had uh, Cuba uh, before 1959, Guatemala until 1991, South Korea, um, a.k.a. United States Army Military Government in Korea uh, until 1948, the Republic of Vietnam uh, until 1975, and Japan... The uh, AKA the Allied Occupation of Japan in until 1952. Wow, I don't know so about those, those were all puppet states. Wow, just a bunch of people walking around with weird animals on their hands, just little strings attached, little marionettes. Ebert, <laughs> Ebert. <laughs> so some of the most infamous war crimes committed by the Japanese military forces were caused by this just horrendous unit, internally dehumanized and referred to as logs. Humans were regularly used in Unit 731 testing. Yes, they called all the victims of their tests logs. Yeah. Yep. Some atrocious experiments included, but not limited to, disease injections, controlled dehydration, hyperbaric chamber experiments, biological weapons testing, vivisection, amputation, and weapons testing. Babies, children, and pregnant women were among the victims. Although the victims were from various countries, the majority were Chinese. And additionally, Unit 731 created biological weapons employed in regions of China, including Chinese cities and towns, water supplies, and farms that were not held by Japanese soldiers. Yes, they were dropping biological shit on Chinese people. Yeah. And we'll talk about it. Oh, yeah. Ooh, better fact that. A little bit. Yeah. Up to, get this, 500,000 people 
are thought to have been murdered by Unit 731 and its related activities. That's just, that's the unit and its little offshoot satellite units. And there were like a couple hundred different units across the world that were doing stuff. Yeah, they are rough. Yeah. It was called the Quang, uh, Quantung's Army's Quantung Army's Epidemic Prevention and Water Purification Department. Well, I guess you can't just say we're gonna kill everybody. You know, we gotta put the water. <laughs> yeah, what department is this? Death. Oh, that seems on the nose. <laughs> yes. So they made up that bullshit thing. Unit seven thirty one was first established by the uh, Kenpai uh, Kenpai Tai Military Police of the Empire of uh, Empire of Japan. General Shiro Ishii, a combat medic officer in the Kwantung Army, took control and oversaw the unit until the war's conclusion. Ishii and his crew used the facility constructed in 1935 to replace the Zongma Fortress to increase their capabilities. So remember that name. That th- This dude, this general, was in charge of the whole thing. Yes. <sighs> Up to the end of the war in 1945, the Japanese government generously supported the initiative. Okay. Facilities for the manufacturing, testing, deployment, and storage of biological weapons were controlled by Unit 731 and other units of the Epidemic Prevention and Water Purification Department. I hate that name. That's a long one. It's like saying shield, but like the whole thing. It's like epidub. That's, that's what it's called. <laughs> epidub. Yeah. The epidub. <laughs> <laughs> what department do you work in? Uh, unit 731 for the epidub. <laughs> While researchers from Unit 731 detained by Soviet troops were convicted in the Khabarovsk war crime trials in December of 1949, those seized by American forces, get this, were secretly granted immunity in exchange for the information obtained during their experimentations. Mm, that sounds familiar. Yeah. Mm. It, is in, it, is, it is infuriating to me. Mm-hmm. Infuriating. I just find it interesting that Russia decided that they were going to, you know, hold a... Right, of all people. Of all people. Right. Who, and not, I'm saying during that time of all people. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, during that time... They did their small little genocide and all that well, shit. Well, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know... That wasn't a war crime for them, though. That was, but what Japan did was a war no, crime. No, 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 no. You can do it to everybody else. But you just can't do it to me. Ah, that's, that's how that goes. Ah, I got you, right. got you, got you, got you. You can hurt other people that I may be against or may not be completely with me, mm-hmm. but just don't do it to me. Oh, okay. You know, what is it? Yeah. The friend of my enemy or the enemy of my friend? The enemy of my enemy is my... My friend? Something like that. The enemy know. of my enemy is my friend. The enemy of the enemy. Damn it. <laughs> As if we needed more bullshit to make us question the tactics of the U.S. government, the U.S. quelled the talk of the human experiments and paid the accused (laughs) of doing it an actual salary. They gave them a salary, so they were paying them yearly, basically to give them information and to not say anything to anybody else. Yeah. So then, similar to what they did with German researchers during Operation Paperclip, Hmm. the Americans siphoned and took their knowledge of and expertise with bioweapons for use in their own program for biological warfare. Interesting. We're not holding a uh, war crimes convention for that. Yeah. (sighs) Japan started its biological weapons program in the 1930s, partly because biological weapons were banned by the Geneva Convention of 1925. They reasoned that the ban verified its effectiveness as a weapon. Of course, they were like, well... They don't want us to do it, then it probably works, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, kind of makes sense. Like you're a little kid, you know. Did you ever hear about the like during like World War One that Ger- Germany was trying to get shotguns um, banned in the Geneva Convention as well too because it was too, it, it was unsportsmanlike, I guess, in war to use a shotgun in the trenches. Well, if that's the case, then nobody's allowed to use a gun. Just government's just fighting. No guns, hand to hand. 
I'm okay. Like, hand to hand. We go old school. You know what? Let's go even further than that. No knives. No knives. Just fingers. Yeah, brass knuckles. It was, you can use brass knuckles. That's fine. Oh, see, now they're going to take that to an extra step. They're going to have, like, full steeled hands that they're just bashing. No, no, no. With. They have to have, like, certain requirements and oh, stuff. Like, like, like a half inch thick and yeah. has to be made of brass. Or we go one further, and every war fought from here on out is done with pillows. Dude. Just big-ass pillow fights. Ricin-infused pillows? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I'm not saying that's going to happen. <laughs> I'm just saying. So, anyway. So, yes. They were like, well, you know, obviously we can't use this, so let's make this. So, this begs the question, just, does this type of government appropriation paying off and hiring those guilty of explicit acts on humans to use their knowledge to create our own versions of what they committed considered an act, you know, quote, for the greater good? Does allowing these turds immunity to extract their heinous experience worth it? I mean, paying and giving them immunity, no, but knowing what's going on so that way they can hopefully prevent and or cure if that were to happen in the future, maybe. But, okay, honest question here. Do you think that that's what was in the minds of the U.S., the armed forces when they were trying to extract this information. Mm-mm. No. Yeah, no. No, no they weren't. Like, I'm sorry. I'm going to find out of this away for later. You know, I live here. I'm libertarian. I'm all, you know, you know, government, mind your own damn business till I need you, but I will need you, so please be there. <laughs> I mean, seriously, that's how I feel about it. Yeah. You know, but, you know, if I don't need you, then stay the fuck out of it. I'll pay my taxes. Leave me alone. Right. However, I do believe that they were they were hoping to assess this information and, in, well, to obtain this information in order to use it against our enemies. Oh, yeah. Especially when you find out what they did. Yeah. I mean, yikes. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> Japan's occupation of Manchuria began in 1931 after the Japanese invasion. Japan decided to build Unit 731 in Manchuria because the occupation not only gave the Japanese advantage of separating the research station from their island, but also gave them access to as many Chinese individuals as they wanted for use as human experimental subjects. Hmm. We have a whole smorgasbord. Look out there. See them all? <laughs> it's fucked up. Yeah, a little S- bit. Super, super. They viewed the Chinese as no-cost research subjects and hoped they could use this advantage to lead the world in biological warfare. Most research subjects were Chinese, but uh, there were a lot of different nationalities involved. Uh, like a lot, There were Russians involved, yeah. some Americans, which baffles me that we were like, listen, we're going to pay you. I know you killed a couple of ours, but it's okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's kind of messed up. So sound familiar, by the way? Does, this, does any of this sound kind of remotely familiar? No, not at all. It's just brand new. Oh, maybe just a precursor to what a bunch of mindfuck Nazis attempted and succeeded in doing... To so many Jews and Jewish sympathizers? Oh, uh, no. Now that you mentioned it. Does it make, does yeah, it ring a bell? Yeah, a little bit. Ding, yeah. ding, ding, ding. You yeah, got that there? Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So in 1932, Surgeon General Shiroishi, Chief Medical Officer of the Imperial Japanese Army and protege of Army Minister Sadao Araki, was placed in command of the Army Epidemic Prevention Research Laboratory, or IPRI. April? It's April. Oh. That's probably one of the nicest acronyms I've ever heard. <laughs> For something so heinous. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Ishii organized a secret research group, the Togo Unit, for chemical and biological experimentation in Manchuria. Ishii proposed the creation of a Japanese biological and chemical research unit in 1930 after a two-year study trip abroad because Western powers were developing their own programs. I wonder who they're referencing. Hmm. Hmm. Western. I don't know. Western powers. Like, Like Ireland? That's west of them, right? I mean, yeah. 
I'm thinking more Switzerland, Sweden. (laughs) The Swiss are like, listen, we're not fighting anyone, okay? But we know how to. (laughs) But if you want, I fuck up your chocolate! (laughs) That would be horrible. All our chocolate and clocks become biological weapons. Oh, man. I mean, they could do it. We have a lot of those, so. Biological clocks? I mean, they use like. (laughs) My biological (laughs) clock is ticking! Sorry, ladies. Anyway, (laughs) I was going to say, they use like iridium and stuff like that in a lot of the clocks to make the. Oh, they made so much shit out of weird shit back in the day. Yeah. I mean, asbestos was in everything. Cigarettes. It was in cigarettes. Hey, man. You know what I mean? I'm not asbestos, so I can't dance. That was an old ass song reference you're welcome i'm not asbestos so i i don't i don't understand that reference. we listened to that with uh, the last sunday dinner that we had not this last one the one prior to that it was like a lyric of one of the songs and he was talking about how he doesn't dance he's on asbestos so he can't dance i have no idea what the fuck that even means but that was in there <laughs> oh <laughs> only because i don't remember that Damn. anyway so so basically they know that you know they're that other countries are kind of coming up with their own and they're like, well, fuck it, we're gonna do our own. Yeah, All right. So Colonel uh, Chikahito Chikohiko Koizumi Chikahiko Koizumi. I almost thought it said Chikatilo at first. <laughs> I was like, what? He's in this? <laughs> I mean, they're close to Russia. I don't know. Maybe I don't think he was around then. Anyway, so Chikahiko Koizumi, who eventually served as Japan's health minister from 1941 to 1945, was one of Ishii's most fierce supporters inside the army. Hmm. In 1915, during World War I, Koizumi and other Imperial Japanese Army officers were inspired by the German successful use of chlorine gas at the Second Battle of Ypres. Is it Ypres or is it Ypres? It's Ypres. Is it? I put myself some uh, pronunciations in here. Very good. You're welcome. And there's probably quite a few. (laughs) That's what took me the most amount of time. Well, because it's spelled Y-P-R-S. I'm like, what's Yipers? And I always said Ypres because yeah. it just sounds pretty. It's Ypres. Because they were in the trees in Ypres. Oh, that's good. That was good. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so in which the Allies suffered 5,000 fatalities and 15,000 injuries as a result of the chemical attack. So that was just chlorine gas. Yeah, that was fucked up. Okay. As a result, they joined a covert poison gas research committee. As a result from that... Unit Togo was started in the Zhongma. Is it Zhongma? It's Zhongma. Zhongma, yeah. Zhongma. Zhongma. I, like, I love the way they talk. I, I swear know. to God. I wish I could learn that language, but it seems so hard. It's actually like one of the easiest ones. Well, I don't know about Japanese, but I know Chinese. I am barely good at English, okay? Hey, man, I speak one language, and that's... <laughs> don't throw something with a bunch of lines and shit <laughs> in it. We're going to have to figure it out. No, let's not do that. So anyway, the, uh, the Togo was started in the Zhongma Fortress, a prison experimentation camp in uh, B- uh, Bayin. I think it's Bayin, yeah. Bayin? Yeah. All right. A hamlet on the South Manchuria Railway, 100 kilometers or 62 miles for us dummies, south of Harbin. To start the test on those in good health, you know, they got to have healthy people. Of course. Prisoners were often well-fed on a diet of rice or wheat, meat, fish, and perhaps even wine. I wonder if they had Irish whiskey or Japanese whiskey. I don't know, but I mean, that sounds, that doesn't sound bad, right? No. Like, I mean, meat, wheat, wine. No, I'm already happy. I know. I'm good. Yeah. I'm good. The inmates were then starved of food and drink and had their blood drained over many days. Uh, oh. Want to take that back? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Finally, it was noted that their health was declining. Shocker. You're just draining them of their blood. Oh. Some were vivisected as well. And I, I know that we've said this word quite often, and I hear it a lot. 
And uh, for those who don't watch or listen to disturbing documentaries, vivisection is surgery conducted for experimental purposes on a living organism, typically animals with a central nervous system to view living internal structures. Others had been purposely, uh, purpose, purposefully exposed to the plague bacterium and other pathogens. So they're literally like, and I'm talking no anesthesia for the vivisections, by the way. Well, yeah, they have to see how everything works. So you are alive, and they're just going, hey, I wonder how your foot works. And so they slice it open. Or I wonder how your eyeball works, and they slice it open. That's what vivisection is. Well, you're sitting there yeah. watching them do it. Correct. Yeah. And, and again, and then a lot of them were exposed to plague. You know, the, the like plague bacterium. Like actual, the, 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 the plague. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? And um, other pathogens as well. That's crazy. So Ishii had to close down Zhangma Fortress due to a jailbreak in the fall of 1934 that jeopardized the facility's uh, secret and uh, an explosion in 1935 that was thought to be sabotage. Listen, yo, it's a sabotage. I wish I would have brought that in sooner like that. That would have been awesome. <laughs> what were you going to say? Nothing. I was just going to start saying sabotage. Oh, nice. Yeah. Then he was given permission to relocate to Pingfang, which is 24 kilometers or 15 miles south of Harbin, to set up a new, much larger facility. So listen, your first one, we like what you're doing there. Hey, 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 you, I like the cut of your jib, man. You're doing great stuff. Oh, wait, someone tried to escape, but we can't, they can't get out. No. We can't do, and it caught on fire? What? Mm-hmm. Wait, hold on. Let's build you a bigger one. Okay. How's that? Does that work? Perfect. You cool with that? Oh, yeah. All right. Keep it going, buddy. All right. All right. Stay cool. All right. Emperor Hirohito signed a decree in 1936 approving the unit's growth and its incorporation as the Epidemic Prevention Department into the Kwantung Army. So now it's literally become a part of, of, of the government, of government agency. Yeah. This is a government agency. It had bases at uh, Hixing, uh, Hixking. It's probably just Sinking, the H. I don't know. And was split into the Ishii unit and Wakamatsu unit. The units were collectively referred to as the Epidemic Prevention and Water Purification Department of the Kwantung Army from August 1940. Towards, or forward. Past that. Onward. Onward. Ho! (laughs) Hirohito's younger brother, Prince Mikasa, toured the unit's 731 headquarters in China and wrote in his memoir that he watched films showing how Chinese prisoners were, quote, made to march on the plains of Manchuria for poison gas experiments in humans. The decree also mandated the construction of a chemical warfare development unit, the Kwantung Army Technical Testing Department, and a biological warfare develop, develop, <laughs> development unit, the Kwantung Army Military Horse Epidemic Prevention Workshop. I feel like that's translated incorrectly. <laughs> <laughs> the Military Horse Epidemic Prevention Workshop? Yeah, that's what they used horses to see if they were able to use them during all this stuff. I have no idea. <laughs> That's just how it was translated. Every horse is like, <laughs> like, Argh. this was later known as Manchuria Unit 100 and subsequently referred to as Manchuria Unit 516. Yeah, a lot of uh, subunits came Lots out. of units. Yes. So uh, they had uh, sister chemical and biological warfare organizations known as Epidemic Prevention and Water Supply Units were established in significant Chinese towns during the Japanese invasion of China in 1937. So all of these units mm-hmm. are literally just offshoots of the bigger one where they just do experimentation on people like it's in just it's infathomable oh yes infathomable 
That's a big word. Thank you. I've been working all day on it. <laughs> unit 1855 in Beijing. Unit EI 1644 in Nanjing. Unit 8604 in... Uh, uh, Guangzhou. Uh, let's say it again. Guangzhou. Thank you. And Unit 9420 in Singapore were among the detachments. Okay, so they've got them all over the place. Everywhere. Right. Ishii's network, which at its height in 1939 had control over 10,000 people. And it was made up of all these different organizations. That is a lot. A little bit. In addition, Japanese medical practitioners and academics were drawn to Unit 731 by the opportunity to perform, of course, human experiments, which was highly unusual, and the Army's robust financial support. So you've got the support of the Army. Mm -hmm. They've got the money. Mm -hmm. They want to do all these experiments, and they're like, let's put, listen, ham, burger. Oh, I like ketchup, mustard. Heck yeah, man. You know I mean? Peanut butter. And dogs. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> so now, here's the part where it may get kind of rough, rough here, folks. So uh, let's talk about the experiments. And th- this is really just, I'm so like, I'm telling you, my stomach was kind of upset about this earlier. So human subjects were used in studies for a specific project with the code name Maruta. Okay. Test subjects were selected from the local populace and referred to as logs like we mentioned before as in the phrase how many logs fell since the facility's official cover cover story to local authorities was that it was a timber mill the personnel first used the word as a joke wow and it's just fucking crazy when you look so how many logs fell today that's how many people died today you know what i mean Uh, the initiative was internally known as hochklotz which in german meaning log Okay. Oh, that's what log is in German, right? According to a junior uniformed civilian employee of the Imperial Japanese Army working in Unit 731. Damn it, I keep wanting to do it. Nothing like dehumanizing the poor people you're experimenting on because that's what you do. It makes it easier, right? Another similarity was the cremation of the sacrificed participants' corpses. Sacrificed. That's quotes. Quotes. Sacrificed. Mm Mm-hmm. They were sacrificed, is what yeah. they were, for the greater good, right? Just another log in the woods. Right. Mm. Additionally, that's so fucked up. Uh, I know, hearing that and reading yeah. that and then thinking about it. Mm. And you're talking 500,000 people, logs. To be choked about, as, as, as right. it was stated, to be joked about. Correct. Yeah. Additionally, Unit 731 researchers published some findings in peer-reviewed publications while posing as non-human primates termed Manchurian monkeys or long-tailed monkeys to do the research. Hmm. What the shit? So, according to American historian Sheldon H. Harris, quote, the Togo unit employed gruesome tactics to secure specimens of select body organs. If Ishii or one of his co-workers wished to do research on the human brain... Then they would order the guards to find them a useful sample. A prisoner would be taken from his cell. Guards would hold him while another guard would smash the victim's head open with an axe. His brain would be extracted off to the the pathologist and then to the crematorium for the usual disposal. So they didn't... They didn't even use the whole body. They just wanted the brain and tossed the rest of it. They were... They were... They just... They were uh, uh, just... They were nothing. They were animals. They were not even animals. They were less than that. You know what I mean? That's ridiculous. That is just ridiculous to me. And uh, so Nakagawa uh, Yonezo, or Yonizo, 
I don't know which one sounds better. Anyway, Professor Emeritus at Osaka University studied at Kyoto University during the war. While there, he watched footage of human experiments and executions from Unit 731. Wow. He later testified about the, quote, playfulness of the experimenters. Quote, some of the experiments had nothing to do with advancing the capability of germ warfare or of medicine. There is such a thing as professional curiosity. What would happen if we did such and such? What medical purpose was served by performing and studying beheadings? None at all. That was just playing around. Professional people, too, like to play. What the fuck? Wow. Uh, yep, 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 yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Prisoners were injected with diseases disguised as vac- uh, vaccinations to study their effects. For example, to analyze the results of untreated venereal diseases, male and female pre- prisoners were deliberately infected with syphilis and gonorrhea and then studied. Prisoners uh, were also repeatedly subjected to rape by guards. And there goes the playfulness of the experiment. Yeah. Is that what that is? Is that, is that playfulness? Yeah. Fuck every one of the, these assholes. Seriously. Mm-hmm. And it's what, that's what's like a lot of this stuff is what like led to what we have now currently like in play safeguards like uh, the, 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 the FDA and stuff like that to make sure shit that is used on people is effective and safe before it is allowed to be used. Like... But it's also kind of scary, too, because, like, you're trusting one company to be like, yeah, that's good. Mm. 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 So now let's talk about the, the vivisection oh, a little yeah. further here. Yeah, a little bit. So thousands of people held in prisoner of war camps were subjected to vi- uh, vivisection. Okay. Mm. You, you all know, you guys all know what that is now because I just explained it to you. Right. Welcome. Right. Organizations against animal experimentation generally use the phrase as a derogatory catch-all term for experiments on living animals, whereas practicing scientists seldom ever do. Live uh, organ harvesting and other forms of human vivisection, as we also know, have been used as torture, right? So apparently, at, like actual doctors and scientists don't use that term. Yeah, they don't condone that term yeah. at all. So now this whole thing with the vivisection, which was frequently done without anesthetic... And was normally fatal, which I would assume, you know. Uh, Okawa, uh, amazing last name, uh, Fukumatsu, it's <laughs> pretty awesome. A for- He's not awesome. His name's awesome. In fact, I take it back. His name sucks, too. A former member of Unit 70, uh, 731 said in a video interview that he had vivisected a pregnant woman. Prisoners were infected with numerous illnesses before having their bodies vivisected. Invasive surgery was conducted on inmates to remove organs and learn how the condition affects the human body. A pregnant woman. And, like, admitted it. Mm -hmm. That's the biggest thing, too, here. You'll find out as we go through this, and I think that might be the name of the episode, is, uh, it's, um, what is it, all the crime, none of the guilt? Yep. Yeah. Because they, they, none of them were, none of them felt bad about what they did at Mm -hmm. all. They were just, and we'll talk about that, too. So inmates' limbs were severed, uh, you know, so researchers could monitor blood loss. Sometimes the victim's corpses' severed limbs were reattached to the opposite sides of their bodies. In addition, some convicts had surgical procedures to remove their stomachs and reconnect their esophagus to their intestines. Others had parts of their organs removed, including the brain, the liver, and the lungs. According to Imperial Japanese Army physician Ken Yuasa, at least 1,000 Japanese soldiers participated in vivisection on humans in mainland China, suggesting that the practice was commonly done outside Unit 731. So it wasn't just in there. Mm-mm. It was all the little satellite places and stuff like that. Yep. 
Ugh. These were like little children, like with a little magnifying glass, just wanting to see how it reacts to the ants on that fucking anthill. That's Absolutely. All this was. Like, don't get me wrong. I've, I thought about like if my arm fell off for whatever fucking reason, they were to reattach it, but they put it on the wrong side of the body, would it still work the same way? But I'm not going to go out and fucking chop someone's arm off and have it re- surgically attached to the other side to see what it fucking does. Have you actually had that thought before? Yeah. Really? The, the, actually, that's what's kind of funny about the whole like if my stomach was removed and I just had the esophagus uh, connected to my uh, intestines, like yeah. would it still work the same way? No. Obviously, it was not going to. <laughs> this was what I'm saying. I was, I was, I was a kid. I you thought about see this. The look on their face. I was just like, no, <laughs> like no, you wouldn't have any of the things to break down the food or yeah. whatnot. Like, well, yeah, as you yeah. learn and oh, so as you're saying, as a child, as a child, this was yesterday. No, 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 no. This was last week. But no, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> as a child, okay, I these thoughts. I get that stuff. Yeah. Because you don't really know don't how, know. you know, physiologically how we work. Right. That makes sense. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so now biological warfare. Let's talk a little bit about that. Throughout World War II, Unit 731 and its related units, including Unit 1644 and Unit 100, were engaged in the study, production, and experimental use of epidemic-producing biowarfare weapons in attacks against the Chinese population, both the military and civilian. And I'm going to go back and say that word or that phrase again. Epidemic-producing biowarfare. Like, you can literally create an epidemic with this stuff. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So imagine if somebody just said, you know what? Here's the uh, coronavirus. Uh, here's the, yeah, here's the coronavirus. There you go. There you go. Eh, everyone's got COVID. There you go. You know, not saying that's how it worked. I'm just saying. For example, in 1940 and 1941, low-flying aircraft carried plague-carrying fleas over Chinese towns Notably, coastal Ningbo and uh, Changde in the Hunan province. These fleas were produced in the labs of Unit 731 and Unit 1644. And if you go back and listen to our episode on the bubonic plague, the Black Plague, the Black Death, um, it wasn't the rats that were... It was the fleas. It was the fleas on the rats that were spreading the the, the disease everywhere. Yeah. So we, we had an entire, I don't know, generation, basically, that this epidemic happened with and they're just like you know what let's fucking do it again yeah how i, I just don't understand the the mindset in that either like did they think they could could control if it like this sounds like the making of the fucking t-virus right <laughs> like it's not oh it's not gonna get out it could never get out mm. even though like back in back in the day it destroyed like what two-thirds of the population right and there was less forms of travel back then too you know oh I mean? it just doesn't oh that's so stupid yeah. So with bubonic plague epidemics, these flea bombs claimed tens of thousands of lives. They were literally dropping black plague bombs <laughs> on people. <laughs> oh, I don't get it. Oh. During an expedition to Nanjing, typhoid and uh, paratyphoid virus were dispersed into water supplies across the city's wells, marshes, and residences and infused into snacks served to inhabitants. <clears throat> hey, man, you want a cookie? No, man, trust me. It's good. It's got typhoid fever or typhoid and typhoid fever, whatever it is. Typhoid Mary eats same cookie. Soon after, epidemics spread to the joy of many scientists who concluded that paratyphoid fever was, quote, the most effective of the diseases. Well, that's good to know. They're high-fiving. Yeah! killed tens of thousands of people to get this one answer. You fucking... Ugh. At least 12 large-scale bioweapon field tests were conducted. And biological weapons were used to target 11 Chinese cities. 11 Chinese cities. According to reports, a 1941 raid on Shangde resulted in some 10,000 biological injuries and 1,700 deaths among poorly equipped Japanese soldiers 
most of which died of cholera. Yeah, cholera was a bitch back in World War II at times. In addition, Japanese researchers conducted experiments on inmates suffering from cholera, smallpox, bubonic plague, and other illnesses. The defoliation uh, bacilli bomb, mm-hmm, yes, mm-hmm, and the flea bomb, which were used to spread the bubonic plague, were developed as a result of this study. Ishii presented, remember Ishii, we talked about him before, presented the concept of, desi- of designing some of these bombs using porcelain shells in 1938. Well, hey, at least they'll have a nice porcelain shell. Hey, at least they look pretty. Yeah, that's... Yeah, they look really pretty. Yeah. You fucking dukes. These bombs allowed Japanese forces to launch biological strikes infecting uh, crops, water supplies, and other places with cholera, typhoid, anthrax, and other deadly illnesses via fleas. Fleas, folks. This is like the late 30s, early 40s here, right? Are we still in the... Or have we hit 40s yet? Uh, I think, think we're still in the 30s, right? Yeah, I think we're 41 now. Okay. Um, no, it was 38 was when he said yeah, for the well, shells. For shells. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. so we're in, in that time. Yeah. They were doing this 80 years ago. Yeah. Not to scare you anything. I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just saying. Oh, but there's more. <laughs> uh, okay. Oh, there's so much more. Researchers would study the victims dying during biological bomb trials while protected by protective suits. Of course, they would wear the suits, right? Of course. Aircraft would deliver contaminated food and clothes into parts of China that were not under Japanese control. Again, they would deliver contaminated food and clothing into parts of China. Okay, And additionally, innocent people received candies and food that had been tainted. And that's why your mom and dad tell you not to take candy from a stranger. Keep in mind, though, we the U.S. has done some really fucked up shit, too. We actually sent, like, peanut butter over and stuff like that. Um, what was it? Was it Vietnam that we would drop things of peanut butter just because they couldn't, like, whistle while they were eating it? Yeah, you couldn't make a noise. They couldn't contact the, the guys down the, the, the trail or whatever like that if they had peanut butter in their mouth. Hmm. Yeah. I'm not saying that's the same thing as this. Not at all. But it kind of is. I mean, that's definitely on the same lines. We've done a lot. I know there's been ones that we've dropped uh, packages off and they had like bombs inside of it and it would freaking just erupt and just destroy people. Yeah. It's fun times. Yeah. On several targets, bombs containing plague fleas, contaminated clothes, and infected goods were dropped upon the unsuspecting uh, uh, citizens. I almost said Sicilians. (laughs) They're looking around. Hey, what the fuck is going on? Hey, is that baloney good? <laughs> Listen, I'm married to a Sicilian, and in a Sicilian family, I can say whatever I want because I make an amazing sauce. Yes. And this past week, yeah. I made some brujol. God, was it good. Yeah, Riley said it was amazing. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. you weren't here. That's right. Yeah, I see coming down with something, so yeah. I was like trying to stay away. Yeah, well, that's good. Trying to be a good, you know. Yeah, good. Yeah. Appreciate that. Yeah, but no it was problem. delicious. I might have some. I'll give you some. Okay, good. Okay. As a result, at least 400,000 Chinese citizens were killed due to cholera, anthrax, and plague. Okay? Also tested on Chinese citizens was tolerimia? Yeah, tularemia. Also known as rabbit fever or deer fly fever, which typically attacks the uh, skins, the skins, the skin, the eyes, the lymph nodes, and lungs. Yeah. Never heard of that. Don't want to. I'm good. Yeah. Uh, Chiang Kai-shek dispatched military and international medical specialist delegation to document the evidence and treat the sick in November of 1941 in response to pressure from various stories of the bio-warfare assaults. So now it's starting to come out. Yeah. All these people are starting to die. They're like, well, no, 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 we'll take care of them. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. Mm. 
However, the Allied powers did not respond to a report on the Japanese deployment of plague-infected fleas on Shangdae until Franklin D. Roosevelt issued a public warning in 1943 denouncing the attacks. So they knew about it two years privately, uh, privately, priorly, prior, and didn't do anything about it. Nope. <clears throat> yeah, I don't understand how that works. And then we went and dropped nukes on them, like... Yeah, you think we would have? Well, there, there is a, 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 we'll, we'll talk about that here oh, in a second yeah. because it gets, uh, it, this whole thing gets really, fucky. It, it gets, it gets, it's fucked. It's fucked. Yeah, it's super fucked. Yeah. So the announcement was made publicly available the the following year. So he's basically like, this is what's actually happening. Okay, so obviously this is a, uh, it's ridiculous and inhumane, but it couldn't be used on on, on us here in the U.S., could it? Uh. Right here in the old uh, U.S. of don't tread on me, eh, right? Mm-hmm. It's not going to happen. No. Well, hold on to your stars and stripes because during the final months of World War II, codenamed Cherry Blossoms at Night, okay, Unit 731 planned to use kamikaze pilots to infest San Diego, California with the plague. Mm-hmm. You guys hear me out there? <laughs> They were going to attack the West Coast with the plague. The plan was scheduled to launch on September 22nd, 1945, but Japan surrendered five weeks earlier. So, yeah, if the United States had not dropped Fat Man and Little Boy on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, there could have been a man-made plague set upon the West Coast of the United States of America. Yeah. That is wild to me. Yep. Like, holy shit. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Even just sitting here thinking about it right now, I'm like, wow. Yeah, things could be a lot different if FDR was like, I think we can wait this out. I'd probably know how to speak Japanese at this point. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> just saying. <Yeah. laughs> so then there was weapons testing. Human targets were used to test grenades positioned at various distances and positions. Mm. Because why not? Flamethrowers were also tested on people. Victims were also tied to stakes and used as targets to test pathogen-releasing bombs, chemical weapons, shrapnel bombs, and varying amounts of fragments, explosive bombs, and bayonets, as well as knives. What better way to know if something works than to have a human guinea pig? Yeah. Yeah. To determine that, and that was me being very sarcastic, just so everyone is clear on this. Yes. To determine the best course of treatment for varying degrees of shrapnel wounds sustained in the field by Japanese soldiers, Chinese prisoners were exposed to direct bomb blasts. They were strapped, unprotected, to wooden planks staked into the ground and increasing distances around a bomb that was then detonated. After that, it was surgery for most and autopsies for everybody else. So fucked. Yeah. So that info was actually taken from a, a documentary, Unit 731, Nightmare in Manchuria. That's ridiculous. Yeah. So now some other experiments. In other deplorable tests, subjects were deprived of food and water to determine the length of time until death. Okay. So basically you just starve them. See how long it takes. They would then be placed into low pressure chambers until their eyes popped from their sockets. What the fuck? Yep. Next, victims were tested to determine the relationship between temperature, uh, burns, and human survival, of course. Next, after that, they were hung upside down until death, crushed with heavy objects, electrocuted, dehydrated uh, dehydrated with hot fans, placed into centrifuges, and spun until they died. So you're just going to just put them in there and blend, basically. Not even blend. You're just, you're on a really bad merry-go-round is yeah, what that is. That's, that's a- yeah. 
I would have lasted more than 30 seconds on that. Yep. People were also injected with animal blood, notably horse blood. Maybe that's where the horse came in on that last one. Oh, maybe. That was the horse platoon. They were all just strapped with horse blood. Is this horse blood? I don't know. It's weird. That is very weird. Um, they were exposed to lethal doses of x-rays, subjected to various chemical weapons inside gas chambers, injected with seawater, and burned or buried alive. So basically anything and everything they could come up with to be like, can this hurt us? Like someone standing in there like with paper, just cutting freaking paper. You know what cuts this fucking sounds like to me? It sounds, a, a horror well, movie. Yeah. Yes, basically. But this sounds like, like if aliens were to invade and they wanted to experiment on humans, Unit 731 is the prime suspect for the alien invaders. Like they just want to see what happens when they do this to the human species. Maybe they were all aliens. Maybe. Well, that makes I don't know. I don't know as a fucking human person growing up with a family that you could justify doing this. Dude, war is hell, man. And and I get that whole, you know, that, that premise that, you know, sometimes you, you do shit in war that obviously you, didn't, you don't want to do, but yeah. you do it because you're in battle. You're in war. This is not that. No. This is not that. And it, it's just, it's sickening, to be honest, man. Yeah. So the unit also looked at the characteristics of several other poisons and chemical agents. Prisoners were subjected to uh, substances like uh, tetrodoxin or tech. Oh, I said it wrong. Tetrodotoxin. Tetrodotoxin. There you go. Uh-huh. Tetrodotoxin, which is the venom of uh, pufferfish or fugu. That's the uh, the the what is, what do I call that? Um, it's like the the the, the Walking Dead syndrome. So they would do back in like the like the early oh, 1900s, yeah, the, late 1800s. They would grind it up to darts. a powder, and yeah, they hit you with a dart, or they grind it up to a powder and blow it on you as they walked by to give you this like Walking Dead thing, because you literally your heart would like go down to such a freaking low rate. Yeah, it's crazy. I hear people actually eat those things too. Oh yeah, like you can. Pufferfish. pufferfish is actually really good, from what I hear. It's the only thing I really haven't eaten in the, the ocean. So yeah, I'm good on that. No. Yep. No. <clears throat> yep. They also used heroin, uh, Korean bindweed. Bactyl and castor oil seeds, to mention a few. And if you don't know what castor oil seeds create, they create ricin, one of the most poisonous substances in existence. In addition, according to former uh, Unit 731 a vivisectionist, what the fuck you and your fucking title, uh, Okawa Fukumatsu, that's that dickhead that I used to like his name, large volumes of blood were removed from some detainees to research the consequences of, well, blood loss. At least half a liter of blood was taken in one instance at intervals of two to three days. Okay? So over two to three days, they're taking at least a half a liter of blood from you. Don't you only have like a liter of blood in your body? You actually have five liters of blood in your body. Oh, well, how much do they take for when you're getting donated? Not a liter. A liter is a lot. I know I'm saying like <laughs> half a liter. Is that still a lot? Okay, I just want you to look at something real fast. That's a liter. No, this this is... This is 750 milliliters. Oh, so that's 750. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, okay. See what I'm saying? Yeah. So that's what? Three that, quarters of a liter. Correct. Ah, uh, got you. So that's... That's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> See? Whiskey is educational. Yeah. I just hey, taught you how that works. Good job. See? Yeah. I was showing him the whiskey bottle. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of blood. Let's just say that. You, do, you don't want to lose that much blood. Thanks. As we mentioned, dehydration experiments were performed on the victims... These tests aim to determine the amount of water in an individual's body and how long one could survive with little to no water intake. Victims were also starved before these tests began. The deteriorating physical states of these victims were documented documented by staff at periodic intervals. And this is a quote. 
It was said that a small number of these poor men, women, and children who became Muratas were also, which are the logs, by the way, just in case anyone gets confused on that, were also mummified alive in total dehydration experiments. They sweated themselves to death under the heat of several hot, dry fans. At death, the corpses would only weigh about one-fifth of their normal body weight. That's ridiculous. And that was Howl Gold, Japan's infamous Unit 731. That's where that comes from, so... Yeah. Unit 731 also performed transfusion experiments with different blood types. For example, unit member Neo Ikeda wrote, quote, In my experience, when 100 cc's of A-type blood was transfused to an O-type subject whose pulse was 87 um, per minute, 87, yeah, I guess per minute, yeah, yeah. yeah, per minute, and temperature was 34 point, or 35.4 degrees Celsius, 30 minutes later, their temperature rose to 38.6 degrees with slight trepidation, meaning their heartbeat sped up a little bit. Yeah. 60 minutes later, their pulse was 106 per minute, and their temperature was 39.4 degrees. Wow. That's all Celsius. The temperature was 37.7 degrees two hours later, so it went down, and the subject recovered three hours later. Okay? So, in other words, if you're injecting the wrong blood type in you, your your body doesn't... it's it's rejecting it. Yeah, it's trying to reject it. Yeah, it doesn't know how to work with yeah, that. You know, as like an invasion. I got to figure out what my blood type is. I used to remember what mine was. I want to say mine's A positive, but I could be wrong. Yeah, mine's always negative. <laughs> hey <laughs> I seriously don't know what my mind is, though. I have no clue. Uh, Grace's, uh, my wife's, is uh, B positive. Oh. Yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah, she's that's the most positive one in your life. Yeah, yeah. So. yeah, yeah. Oh, she. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! I got you, Mama. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so when 120 cc's of AB type blood was transfused to an O type uh, subject, an hour after the subject described malaise. Okay. In other words, they were just kind of lethargic, and uh, I left this in here on purpose. Can you do it? Psychoesthesia. Very good. There you go. Which basically just means you have cold feeling in your in your appendages or wherever. That's yeah, psychoesthesia. Yeah. I was like, what in the shit is that? <laughs> so I'm like looking it up. I'm like, well, that's a pretty stupid word uh, for cold feeling. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, whatever. Cold feet. Yeah. Well, yeah. If you had psychoesthesia in your feet, you, you would have cold feet. Yeah. yeah. That's literally it. <laughs> so hopefully Riley doesn't get that next year. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Riley's, Riley's getting married next. Whatever. So, <laughs> when uh, uh, so they got in both their, their legs, so they got tired and they had this cold feeling in their legs, right? When 100 cc's of AB type blood was transfused to a B type subject, there seemed to be no side effects because right. apparently A B because there's certain ones that could be like you know yeah. back and forth, right? Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, O is the most rare or is the most rare blood type. AB is the most universal blood type because it can be used in both A and B and AB people. And O can't really be used for anybody, if I'm not mistaken. Even though it's the most rare? Yes. Huh. If Weird. I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. Why well, don't you double check that before everyone there is like, no, no. you're wrong. <laughs> so all of that information right there was taken from man, medicine, and the state, the human body as an object of government-sponsored medical research in the 20th century. Yes, that's the name of the book. Damn it, from 2006. So Unit 731 tested a slew of chemical agents on prisoners and had a building dedicated to gas experiments. Remember, they used chlorine gas in the beginning of this whole thing. Aha. Some of the agents tested were mustard gas, lewisite, cyanic gas, acid gas, white phosphorus, uh, white phosphorus, yeah, sorry, uh, atomsite, 
and phosgene gas. And Adam's sight is when Moody farts in a glass and puts it in your face. That's, oh, that's gross. <laughs> God, that's gross. <laughs> Mr. Moody. Did you figure it out? I did, and right. I was actually correct. Okay. And by the way, Adam's sight is not that at all. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> um, so AB positive blood type is compatible with all blood types, but AB negative is only compatible with AB negative, A negative, B negative, O negative, whatever. O positive is only compatible with O positive, O negative, where O negative is only compatible with O negative. So in this instance, a negative and negative does not equal the positive. Correct. Okay. So negative's got to stay with a negative. Negative's got to stay with a negative, okay. but a positive can be with a negative or a positive. Okay. But AB is the only blood type that's compatible with technically all blood types. And O is the most rare? And O is the most rare. Look at you. Look at you. Hold on. Thanks. Wow. I know a thing or two. Wow. Because you've seen a thing or two? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> bum, 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 bum. Okay, so I kind of went through this. To put things in just absolutely horrific perspective, the fatality rate for mustard gas was only about 2 to 3%. Okay. Okay. So, and, you know... I mean, it's still a lot because if you drop it on, you know, 10,000 people, it's still a lot of people. Yes. Okay. Still, those who suffered chemical burns and respiratory problems had prolonged hospitalizations and, if they recovered, were thought to be at higher risk of developing cancers during later life. Okay. The toxic effects of lewisite, okay, are rapid onset and um, result from acute exposures. The vesicant... Uh, vesicant? I'm going to say that's right. right? Vesicant. 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 Properties of lewisite result from direct skin contact. It has been estimated that as little as two milliliters to an adult human, okay, can be fatal within several hours. That's crazy. Okay. I mean, two milliliters, that's that's a good... That's like a couple eye drops. I mean, that's... No, because that's 750 milliliters, so... So yeah, maybe not even a couple of eye drops. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I love how we're using that as <laughs> a whiskey bottle. The whiskey bottle. We're keeping that here from now on. Oh yeah. 100%. Whenever we discuss any of this stuff like that, that's that's how we know. Like, just leave it to booze. Thank you, booze. Anyway, so uh, yeah, it doesn't take a lot. Airborne release of cyanide gas in the form of hydrogen cyanide or cyanogen chloride would be expected to be lethal to 50% of those exposed at levels of uh, 2,500 to 500 milligrams per minute per... There's a weird number. Whatever. There's a lot per, there. Per meter cubed. Yeah, Should, yeah, whatever. The yeah. volume of it. Yeah, that's fine. Respectively. So, in other words, it doesn't take a lot to nope. kill a lot of people. Nope. Okay? When ingested as sodium or potassium cyanide, and keep that in mind for later on, the lethal dose is 100 to 200 milligrams. According to a medical report prepared during the hostilities by the Ministry of Health... White phosphorus, quote, white phosphorus can cause serious injury and death when it comes into contact with the skin, is inhaled, or is swallowed. The report states that burns on less than 10% of the body can be fatal because of liver, kidneys, and heart damage. Yeah, white phosphorus is a fucking... Is that? That's not Agent Orange. or no, Agent Orange, that's is not it? Agent Orange, no. That's something different. Um, white phosphorus... Because I know there's a red phosphorus as well. Yeah, any, basically anything with phosphorus in it is poisonous to us, but... Um, and it burns. And it burns like crazy. But yeah. white phosphorus is... It's almost like mag, like uh, um, like the like flares are being dropped. They produce such a gigantic smoke cloud that it's so hard to dissipate and takes forever to go away that they typically use it as, like, tanks will shoot it from like back in the day when they used to do that stuff, but they would shoot it from their 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 tanks, or whatever, to create a smoke screen so they can get away from it. And if anyone tried to travel through it, it would actually kill and or injure like them, like burn them and whatnot. Basically, yeah. yeah. So that's what the whole point behind that was. But then, is that what he used? If Brad Pitt used in Fight Club when he kissed the back of of uh, you've never seen Fight Club, have you? Mother, f- 
Hold on a second, folks. God damn it! <laughs> okay, no, I'm good. We don't talk I'm, about Fight Club I'm back. Here. I'm back. I'm back. We, we're we're going to have a talk later. <laughs> oh, my God. So, Atomsite, and no, not Moody's Farts, is a vomiting compound used as a riot control agent. All right, so the military call it uh, DM. It is released as an aerosol. Adverse health effects from exposure to Atomsite are generally self-limited and do not require specific therapy. Most adverse health effects resolve within 30 minutes. Minutes, okay? So that's not that's the least of all these right now. Right. Exposure to large concentrations of Atomsite or exposure to Atomsite within an enclosed space, enclosed space or under adverse weather conditions may result in more severe adverse health effects, serious illness or death. So if you're out in the open and you're outside or whatever, because they use it as a crowd deterrent. Right. So, ah, it hurts. Ah, you walk away, wash your face. Fine. Good. But if you're in an enclosed space, that shit might fucking kill you. Yeah, it's no bueno. And then phosgene is a highly toxic but acute in, uh, inhalation exposure, or by acute inhalation exposure, okay? Severe respiratory effects, including pulmonary edema, pulmonary emphysema, and death have been reported in humans. Basically, it makes your blood clot so bad to the point to where it just shuts off everything in your body. Yeah. So severe ocular irritation, meaning your eyes are hurting, and dermal burns, your skin burns, may result following eye or skin exposure. It is estimated that as many as 85% of the 91,000 gas deaths gas deaths in World War One were a result of phosgene or the related agent diphosgene. That's, that's, that's a pretty high success rate. That is fucked. Yeah. So stay away from that stuff. Yes. A former, or a, for, damn it, a former army major and technician gave the following testimony anonymously at the uh, time of the interview. This man was a professor emeritus at a national university. He didn't want his name to be known, so whatever. Quote, in 1943, I attended a poison gas test held at Unit uh, 73 or 731 test facilities. Okay? A glass wall chamber about three meters square and two meters high was used. Instead of it, a Chinese man, or inside of it, a Chinese man was blindfolded with his hands tied around a post behind him. Fucking hell. The gas was atomsite, or I guess they call it sneezing gas. And as the gas filled the chamber, the man went into violent coughing convulsions and began to suffer excruciating pain. More than 10 doctors and technicians were present. After I had watched for about 10 minutes, I could not stand it anymore and left the area. I understand that other types of gases were also tested there, end quote. Yeah, that's... You just walk in, you see some dude just strapped up on a thing and just watch him suffer. Yep, and it took him 10 minutes to leave. My God, that was taken from uh, How Gold, Japan's infamous Unit 731 from 2019. Yeah, so this is super gross, so that's fun. Not that anything else hasn't been, but this is pretty fucked up. Uh, Takeo Wano, or Wano, a former medical employee of Unit 731 claimed to have observed a Western man, Western man, being pickled in formaldehyde after being chopped in half vertically. Because so many Russians were residing in the neighborhood at the time, Wano suspected that the man was Russian. <laughs> I, I don't even know what to say. Cut in half vertically, so that was not the waist. That was down the middle. Correct. And that was placed vertically. in formaldehyde and then placed in formaldehyde and was pickled and to ferment him yes basically what, they, what was what was what was what was the end goal there to see how he tasted to see what would happen i guess jesus fucking christ yep that is coming from the minds of fucking assholes <laughs> 
So additionally, Unit 100 experimented with poisonous gas. The captives were housed in mobile gas chambers that resembled phone booths. Others donned military uniform uh, uniforms, while others were made to wear various sorts of gas masks, and other people wore nothing at all. So, of course, you had to have your your, your test subjects there, you know, right. and see what's going to happen, because ugh, it's been said that some of the tests are, quote, psycho, uh, huh, psychopathically cruel with no possible military purpose. Okay? One experiment, for instance, measured how long it took for, uh, I'm sorry about this, for three-day-old newborns to freeze to death. Jesus, fuck! I don't. Ugh. Like, yeah. What what purpose does it have for? I don't. I don't know anything. What the hell's the point of that? Like, seriously. Like, there's no point in that. Additionally, Unit Seven Thirty One conducted field tests of chemical weapons on detainees. An unknown researcher at the Camo Unit, aka Seven Thirty One, wrote a paper that details a significant mustard gas experiment on humans from September seventh through the tenth of nineteen forty. 20 participants. I love it. It says participants. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because they volunteered yeah. for it, right? Yeah. I'm sure they really wanted to be, yeah, come on. Come on down. Mustard gas. Do, 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 do. You're the next contestant on. Fuck, you're going to die. So 20 participants were split into three groups and put in observation gazebos, trenches, and fighting emplacements. One group received up to 1,800 field cannon rounds of mustard gas for 25 minutes while wearing nothing but their underpants. Wow. Without any kind of mask or anything else, another set had shoes and a summer military outfit. Okay? And three of them wore masks, and while the others did not. Interesting. Yeah. They also were exposed to as many as 1,800 rounds of mustard gas, so those other people that were wearing all that. A third group was clothed in summer military uniform, three masks with, uh, or yeah, three with masks and two without, and were exposed to as many as 4,800 rounds of mustard gas. That's ridiculous, dude. Then their general symptoms and damage to the skin, eye, respiratory organs, and digestive organs were observed at four hours, 24 hours, and two, three, and five days after the shots. What the fuck? I mean, we've done a lot on here, man. And yeah. there's, there's been a few that I've been, like, pissed off about, but this one's just pissing me off. Well, then the psychopaths injected their blister fluid from one subject into another, and analysis of blood and soil were also performed, so they would actually take the fluid from blisters from the mustard gas, take it out of one person with a syringe, and then put it into another. Mm. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yep. So, finally, five subjects were forced to drink a water solution of mustard and lewisite gas with or without decontamination. The report describes the conditions of every subject precisely without mentioning what happened to them in the long run. And the following is an excerpt of one of these reports. Okay. Quote, number 376, dugout of the first area. September 7th, 1940, 6 p.m. Tired and exhausted. Now, this is him describing the the, the people. Yeah. yeah. Uh, or at least a a person here who's who's uh, been subjected to this looks uh, looks with hollow eyes, weeping redness of the skin of the upper part of the body, eyelids um, uh, edematous. Okay, because mm-hmm. I put that in there just to make sure I have sure. the pronunciation. Yeah, uh, adam adam adematose. I mean, I worked all day on that. Edematose, right? Which just means swollen with fluid. All right, and then uh, swollen, and then um, epiphora, which is excessive watering. His eyes were just watering really bad. And um, hyperemic conjunctivi, which is ocular, your eyes are red. 
fucking smoke too much weed. Right. Like well, I'm sure it wasn't weed. It was fucking ammo. Yeah. So September 8th, 1940 at 6 a.m. Neck, breast, upper abdomen, and scrotum weeping. <clears throat> hmm. I don't think his penis is crying. I'm really... <laughs> takes a lot, folks. It takes a lot. Uh, reddened and swollen. Uh, swollen. So, yeah. Covered with millet size uh, millet seed size to bean size blisters. Eyelids and conjunctiva uh, hyperemic and edematose. Or, uh, edemot- Damn it, say it. Edematose. Thank you. Fuck. Had difficulties opening his eyes. September 8th at 6 p.m. Tired and exhausted. Feels sick. Body temperature 37 degrees Celsius. Mucus and bloody erosions across the shoulder girdle. Abundant muc- uh, mucus nose secretions. Abdominal pain, mucus, and bloody diarrhea. Uh, prote- uh, yeah, proteinuria, which is excess, uh, excess protein in urine, uh, in the urine, basically. Yeah. Possibly from kidney damage. Right. Okay. September 9th and 19th. Uh, September, yeah, 9th, 1940, 7 a.m. Tired and exhausted. Weakness of all four extremities. So the, guy, the guy's dying. Right. Low morale, body temperature 37 degrees Celsius, skin of face still weeping. <sighs> so that's that's mustard gas on somebody, if you guys were really wanting to know. That's 4,800 rounds of mustard gas yeah. on somebody. Yeah. That was taken from Man Medicine and the State, and I said that one earlier. It's got a really long title. So then they did some frostbite testing. This is just... So why not, right? Maddening. Hisato uh, Yoshi, uh, Yoshimura... An army engineer carried out tests by forcing captives to stand outside, putting various limbs into water at multiple temperatures, and letting the limb freeze. Yoshimura would then use a small stick to whack the victim's frozen limbs while, quote, producing a sound similar to that which a board emits when it is struck. The damaged region was then treated with different methods, such as dousing it in water or exposing it to heat of a fire once the ice had been chipped away from the appendage. Yeah. Ah, the sadistic fuck Yoshimura over here was described to the members of the unit as a, quote, scientific devil. Oh, you, you devil. You don't. He's such say. a scientific devil. And, quote, a cold-blooded animal. That one sounds better. Yeah. Because of the strictness uh, with which he would carry out all of these evil fucking deeds. In an interview from ni- uh, the 1980s, Unit 731 member uh, Naoji Yuzono revealed a super uncool and nightmare-inducing incident when Yoshimura had, quote, Researchers placed two nude males in an area that was 40 to 50 degrees below zero and documented the entire process until the individuals passed away. The victims were in such pain that they were tearing at each other's flesh with their nails. In a 1950 essay from the Journal of Japanese Physiology, Yoshimura revealed his lack of regret for torturing 20 kids and a three-day-old baby in tests that subjected them to ice water and ice temperatures below zero. Why didn't someone just take out a gun and pop that dude between the eyes? Yeah. I mean, why? 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 There's quite a few of them that could uh, have been better off with that. Yeah. Mm. Although this article drew criticism, Yoshimura denied any guilt when contacted by a reporter from the uh, Mainichi Shambun, which I'm assuming is a paper. Yeah. Right. Yoshimura developed, quote, a, resi- uh, a resistance index of frostbite based on the mean temperature of 5 to 30 minutes after immersion in freezing water, the temperature of the first rise after immersion, and the time until the temperature rises after immersion. 
in several separate, uh, separate experiments, it was then determined how these parameters depend on the time of day a victim's body was immersed in freezing water, water, excuse me, the surrounding temperature and humidity during immersion and how the victim had been treated before the immersion. So it's all science. It's all for science. It's, it's science, man. Did you know that if you're walking around in temperatures that are negative 50 or below, you know, or worse than that, um, if you were to smile in said temperatures at negative 50, it would actually make your teeth crack. Negative 50. You know how cold it gets in Minnesota, North Dakota, Canada? Like 70 below yes no (laughs) i was right yay yay oh no it gets cold man yeah imagine being like up north north yeah or freaking like russia or the top of canada or alaska blows our mind yeah Yeah. i'm I'm good they're like they're yeah they're out in those elements all the time i like it chilly but that's insane to me yeah when it's yeah when it starts the the numbers start to just go backwards like negatives Mm -mm. yeah if you can take hot water and throw it outside and it turns to like snow yeah i'm done Yep. I'm out. I'm out. See, like right now, 50s, 60s? Yeah, I'm good. Perfect. Good. And it was beautiful today, oh, yeah. by the way. So it was nice. like 65. Perfect sweater weather. Super sunny, but yet still have that nice chill in the air. Yes. October's here, baby. Happy oh, yeah. October, by the way. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. My favorite time of the year. Anyway, so now they did have variables in his whole little, you know, scientific conclusions that he got here. Like, uh, after keeping awake for, you know, uh, for a night, you know, so the subject would be kept awake. So, remember, he said that different times of the day and mm-hmm. how they, you know, whatever was going on with the person changed things. Right. So, uh, after hunger for 24 hours, after hunger for 48 hours, immediately after a heavy meal, immediately after a hot meal, immediately after muscular exercise, immediately after cold bath, immediately after hot bath. Hmm. Okay. So, you know, he had, he's... he's Writing it all down. Gotcha. Got a little journal. Oh, yeah. You know, doing his thing. Yeah. And uh, so what type of uh, food the victim had been fed over the five days preceding the immersions concerning dietary uh, nutrient intake, uh, you know, high protein or high protein from vegetables versus like, you know, animal or low protein intake and a standard diet as well as their salt intake. Oh, science. Yes. How wonderful of you. And then... There's the syphilis. Oh, boy. Yeah. Yep. For those that may not know, (laughs) (laughs) syphilis is a chronic bacterial disease uh, contracted chiefly by infection during sexual intercourse, but also can generally uh, by infection of a developing fetus. Hmm. Okay, so they basically can get it from your mom. Gotcha. So if mom has syphilis, it's possible the fetus might get it. The first sign of syphilis is a small brownish dot on the infected person's left hand. So, how many of you guys actually looked? I'm looking right now. Yeah. I actually have. <laughs> you dirty birds. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Actually, the first stage of syphilis involves a painless sore on the genitals, rectum, or mouth. Okay. After the initial sore heals, the second stage is characterized by a rash. Okay. So, you get a sore. Mm. Then you get a rash. Mm. Then, there are no symptoms. Huh. Yeah, so the symptoms just kind of go away. Interesting. Until the final stage, which can occur years later. This final stage can result in damage to the brain, nerves, eyes, or heart. Syphilis is treated with penicillin, and uh, sexual partners should also be treated. So if you happen to run across that, just, you know, I'm letting you know. 
oh, penicillin, a good old shot. Just go there and get a shot. I did not know any of that about syphilis. Yeah, but syphilis is it's not fun. Syphilis from what I hear. From what you hear, yeah. From what allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> no, I've from, never. From no. Al Capone, right? Yeah. yeah, Al Capone did die from syphilis. Yeah, he, he definitely passed away from syphilis. It's fun times. So unit members orchestrated forced sexual acts between infected and non-infected prisoners to transmit syphilis as the testimony of a prison guard on the subject of devising a method for transmission of syphilis between patients shows. This is an actual, this is testimony from this person, and this is super fucked. Quote, infection of venereal disease by injection was abandoned, and the researchers started forcing the prisoners into sexual acts with each other. Four or five unit members dressed in white laboratory clothing, completely covering the body with only eyes and mouth visible, rest covered, handled the test. So they're not exposed, you know. A male and a female, one infected with syphilis, would be brought together in a cell and forced into sex with each other. It was made clear that anyone resisting would be shot. Okay. That's no. <sighs> These unfortunate victims were infected and then vivisected at various stages of infection to view the interior and exterior organs as the disease developed. Despite being forcefully infected, many guards testified that the female victims were the virus's hosts. So typically it was a female that had the disease. Which is kind of fucked up if you think that the guards were raping them. Mm-hmm. So I wonder how many of those guards wound up with that shit. Right. Welcome. Good. Yeah. Good. Hopefully they ran out of penicillin. Yeah. Now this is pretty fucked up. Uh, and when I say this, um, I'm sorry in advance. But guards use the term jam-filled buns to refer to the syphilis-infected female detainee's genitalia. Okay. Just letting that soak in real quick before we go further, because when I first read that, I was like... (laughs) Not even joking. Oh, my God. And that is just gross on every level. I mean, not only are they making fun of it, but... You know, anyway. Yeah, I don't think I'll look at Jan the same way. Now. Yep, yep, um, yep. Inside the confines of Unit 731, several syphilis-infected children actually grew up. Oh, wow. Quote, one was a uh, Chinese mother carrying a baby. One was a white Russian woman with a daughter of four or five years of age. And the final was a white Russian woman with a kid of around six or seven, recounted a youth corps member who was sent to train at Unit 731. Similar tests were performed on these women's offspring, focusing on how prolonged infection times influence the success of therapies. So they did the same experiments on the kids. Yeah. So just when you thought this shit was bad enough, the rape and forced pregnancies came. That's right. For use in experiments, non-pregnant female convicts were made to get pregnant. The declared justification for the torture was the possible danger of infections, notably syphilis, being transmitted vertically, as in from mother to child. In addition, their interest included maternal reproductive organ injury and fetal survival. There have been no reports of any Unit 731 survivors, okay, including children, even though, quote, a considerable number of newborns were born in captivity. Female captives' offsprings are, are offspring are said to have either been aborted or murdered at birth. Wow. Keep that in mind as we go further on this, and there's no light at the end of this tunnel, and that's why I said this is a really rough one. There were no survivors yeah. of any of the people that were actually incarcerated and experimented upon. There were none. 
So while male prisoners were often used in single studies so that the results of the experimentation on them would not be clotted by other variables, women were sometimes used in bacteriological or uh, physiological experiments, sex experiments, and as the victim of sex crimes. Fuck! The testimony of a unit member that served as a guard graphically demonstrated this violent and disturbing reality. And this is another quote. <sighs> one of the former researchers I, uh, I located told me that one day he had a human experiment ex- uh, scheduled, but there was still time to kill. So he and another uh, unit member took the keys to the cells and opened one that housed a Chinese woman. One of the unit members raped her. The other member took the keys and opened another cell. There was a Chinese woman in there who had been used in a frostbite experiment. She had several finger- fingers missing and her bones were black with gangrene set in. He was about to rape her anyway. Then he saw that her sex organ was festering with pus oozing to the surface. He gave up the idea, left, and locked the door, then later went on to his experimental work. Jesus Christ. What in the actual fuck? Wow. Okay. So now let's go further into the prisoners and the victims. An international symposium on the crimes of bacteriological warfare was convened in Shangde, China, the scene of the plague flea bombardment. Remember, that's where they dropped the, where they had planes go over and drop these flea bombs or whatever. Yeah. As mentioned earlier. All right. This this was in 2002. There, it was calculated that around 580,000 people had been killed by the Imperial Japanese Army's germ warfare and other human experimentation. According to American historian Sheldon H. Harris, we talked to we talked to him earlier. He talked to us earlier. Yes, yes, yes. More than two hundred thousand people perished. Okay. In addition, seventeen hundred Japanese soldiers in Zhejiang during the Zhejiang Zhengji War were killed by their own biological weapons while attempting to release the biological agent, showing major distribution problems in addition to the Chinese death. That's funny to me, though. Yeah. You did all this experimenting, and your own guys are dying because they don't know how to transport it properly. Right. And so you're going to go out there and try to kill these people, and you end up dying because you're just following orders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess that's not funny to me. It's 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 not funny. It's not. And I guess I take that back because these guys are literally just following orders. Yeah. But at that point in time, well, no, because if you didn't follow orders, you were just dead. Yeah, you were just shot on. And or your family. You yeah. know what I mean? So uh, either way, it's... No, no, boy, no, and it's not funny. I take that back. Yeah, now I feel bad for saying that. I have to edit that out because <laughs> I do. I mean, I was more thinking like, ah, you're gonna try and kill somebody, and then you get fucked up. Yeah. But in the meantime, I'm thinking, well, they were kind of forced into it. Yeah, it's not like you're about to shoot somebody and you ran and tripped and shot yourself. It's it's a like I'm forced to do this heinous act, otherwise I die kind of thing. Right. But I'm sure there are probably a, a large portion of those that did die that kind of wanted to do the act regardless. So. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, uh, just because of hatred towards people, yeah. Yeah, and that hatred is, yeah. Mm. Yeah. So additionally, according to Harris, animals infected with the plague were released close to the war's conclusion. Okay, so the war's about to end, and they release these animals that have the plague in them, leading to plague outbreaks that, between 1946 and 1948, killed at least 30,000 additional people in the Harbin region. I wonder if any of those are bats. Probably horses. Oh, I get, uh, I get what you're saying. Wuhan. I got you all in check. So those chosen as test subjects included uh, common criminals. Okay. Captured bandits. Hmm. Anti-Japanese partisans. Mm, we can't have those. Right. Political prisoners. Mm. 
homeless people, and people with mental disabilities, including infants, men, elderly people, and pregnant women, in addition to those detained by the Kinpaitai military police for alleged suspicious activities. About 300 researchers worked at Unit 731. Just just Unit 731 by itself. 300 uh, researchers. Researchers. Mm-hmm. I like how they use that. Mm-hmm. Including medical uh, professionals and bacteriolo- bacteriologists. I got that word. However, many people have become numb to carrying out harsh tests due to their experience with animal exper- experimentation. Nope. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Yeah. Nope. Mm-mm. Mm. I'm, I'm, I, yeah. I, I don't agree, nor do I disagree with that statement. Because it is, it kind of does make you a little bit more hardened if you, all you do is abuse animals all day long. Like, obviously, you're going to work on abusing a human then next. I don't feel like it made you... I don't... Okay. I, I think more so if you were experimenting on um, animals and then you happen to be told to experiment on a human... It'd make it easier for you to do It would probably desensitize you a little bit, at least. You know what I mean? Yeah, but that motherfucker can talk. No, don't do this. No, don't do this. It's a lot different than... Ooh, the horse? Is it Mr. Ed? I'm just saying, like, in general, like, the the person that you're about to be working on, like, that that could talk... The the person can talk. It's a little different. Yeah. I I, I don't get it. I don't get it at Uh, all. I don't get it. I don't... Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. Without considering victims from other medical research facilities like Unit 100, at least 3,000 men, women, and children... You know, uh, who 117 of those were children, by the way, of which at least 600 each year were given by the Kenpai Tai were subject, subjected to Unit 731 experimentation at the Ping Fame camp alone. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Although the literature generally accepts the number of 3,000 internal casualties, former unit member Akawa Fukumatsu challenged it in a video interview. He claimed that the unit had at least 10,000 internal experiment victims that he had personally vivisected thousands of them. So there's reports that you only had about two, 3,000. He's like, no, no, wait. Who said that? <laughs> it was way bigger. You think our research is only coming from 1,000 people? We have concrete evidence yeah. that at least 10,000. Yeah, no, I'm going down to history, man. Like, I'm not here for a, a long oh, time. I'm here oh. for a good time. Fuck that guy, Yeah, dude. fuck him. Fuck him right in his freaking little pucker. Like, fuck him. Ugh. Mm-hmm. So A.S. Wells said that the Chinese people um, made up, or that Chinese people made up most of the casualties with smaller proportions of Russian, Mongolian, and Korean people. A few European, American, Indian, Australian, and New Zealander prisoners of war may have also been among them. Again, shocking to me that that would transpire, and then what happens happens. Mm. According to Yokosan Sonandan, paramilitary political youth branch member who worked for Unit 731, Americans, British, and French were present, in addition to Chinese, Russians, and Koreans. According to Sheldon H. Harris's uh, research, the victims were primarily political dissidents, communist sympathizers, common criminals, low-income residents, and those with mental disabilities, like we had mentioned earlier. According to estimates by author uh, Saichi Moromuro, about 70% of the Ping Fang's, uh, Ping Fang camp's fatalities, okay, both military and civilian, were Chinese, while roughly 30% were Russian. Wow. So they just wanted to take it out on the Chinese people. Yeah. And then, the, and then Russians, because, I, what, because you're close to Russia? That's what I would probably think. And they, uh, I think they were enemies. Of the, yeah, they were enemies at the time, so. So I'm going to, again, nobody... Who went inside 731 as a a captive 
survived. Yes. Again, I'm going to repeat, nobody that went inside as a captive survived. So at night, prisoners were usually brought into Unit 731 in black cars with no windows but only a ventilation hole. One of the drivers would exit the vehicle at the main gates and head to the guard room to report to the guard. The, quote, special team in the inner jail, which was led by Shiro Ishii's brother, remember we talked about him earlier, Mm -hmm. would then get a call from that guard. The convicts would then be taken to the inner prisons via an underground tunnel excavated beneath the center building's exterior. And by convicts, they were pretty much just taken. Yeah. I mean, let's just, like, you're going to tell me some mentally ill a woman is a convict? They went through, like, a great lengths to make sure that whomever they were taking did not know where they were at and could not make it easy for them to get out of Correct. where they were at. That's 100% what they did. So Building 8 was one of the, uh, the jails housing uh, men and women, while Building 7 was just women. Once inside the inner jail, technicians would take blood and feces samples from the inmates, which is odd to me, but whatever. They would assess their kidney function and gather other physical information. Prisoners found healthy and suitable for research were given a three-digit number instead of their names, which they kept until they passed away. Remember earlier, they wanted healthy people. Right. Every time a prisoner passed away following the test they had undergone, a clerk from the first division crossed their names off an index card and took their shackles to be worn by a newly arrived captive. Yeah. So just just not that everything else was bad enough, but you show up and like they put these on you and let's just say hypothetically you had no idea that you look at them. You can tell these came from something. What happened to this guy? Yeah. You know what I mean, what happened to this guy? I'm not getting out of here. That right there is disparaging and just breaks you down. Yeah. You know what I mean? At least one uh, friendly, quote, friendly social interaction between inmates and Unit 731 employees has uh, been documented. Oh, okay. Yeah, there were, there were some fun times here, dude. Hey, Come on, it can't all be It can't rain all the time, Logan. Right. All right? What's that from? Rain Man. Get it? Because it can't rain. Son of a bitch! <laughs> Okay, no, I'm good. What was that from? I'm good. The Crow. Oh. Yeah. I know what The Crow is. It was a good song. Yeah. Oh, boy. So, in, in this little fun little interaction here, two female convicts were engaged by technician uh, Nayak- uh, Nayakata Ishibashi. Okay. Okay. One prisoner was a Chinese woman. She was around 21, while the other was a Soviet woman around 19. Mm. Okay. Uh, Ishibashi discovered that she was from uh, Ukraine after asking where she was from. The two inmates urged Ishibashi to uh, to get them a mirror since they have uh, they, they they basically told him that they haven't seen their own faces since they got brought to the place. Oh wow! Okay. Through a gap in the uh, the cell door, Ishibashi managed to sneak them a mirror. Okay. Mm. As long as they were healthy enough, prisoners were regularly employed for in, uh, in, in, in experimentation. So whatever. So. They, they what? They found a nice guy, somebody with a somewhat soft. Or did he wind up going in and raping them sometime afterward? You know what I mean? Brought you this mirror. Yeah. Scratch your back, you scratch mine. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. I guarantee that's probably exactly what happened. So once a prisoner had been admitted to the unit, they had a two-month life expectancy on average. That's okay. So you were not going to be there for longer than two months, and that's not a good thing. Nope. Yeah. 
Well, I guess it depends. I mean, all that freaking pain and suffering you're going through, you know yeah, what I mean? It's probably better to be put out. Yeah, quickly. rather, yeah, absolutely. So many female convicts gave birth there, and some inmates remained alive in the unit for nearly a year. So there were some that were there for a little bit longer. Okay. The jail, they were probably once helping out. The jail cells each featured a squat toilet and wood floors. The And a squat toilet is basically a hole in the floor. Yeah. So you have to squat to make with the poo-poo. <laughs> Just so everyone knows now. Okay. Gotcha. Thank you. It's weird how I said that like this, though. <laughs> I made it sound seductive. It's not seductive. It's not seductive. It's fucking gross. It's fucking disgusting. So the prison's exterior walls and the cell's outer walls were separated by space, okay, allowing the guards to pass behind the cells. So in other words, you had a wall, then you had a freaking opening, and then you had a wall so they could actually walk by and check every inch at all times, which is not exactly the best for space, but really good for keeping an eye on people. Right, making sure nobody escapes or right. sabotages. Right. There was a little window in each cell door, and when shown the inner jail, chief of the personnel division of the Kwantung Army headquarters, Tomuro Tadashi, stated... Uh, stated? Because <laughs> it went from Tadashi to... Stade- <laughs> <laughs> stated! Son of a bitch! Tomuro Tadashi stated that he glanced inside the cells and observed live individuals in chains some of whom moved around while others lay on the bare floor and were in a very ill and helpless condition. Well, shocker. Yeah. Yoshio Shinozuka, a former Unit 731 Youth Corps member, testified that it was difficult to look through these prison doors because of their tiny windows. Cast iron doors and a high level of security made up the inner jail. No one was allowed admission without specific authorization. A picture ID pass and the entry exit timings were all recorded. So in other words, there was somebody there at all times paying attention. These two inner prison structures were the special teams workspaces. Mm. This group wore white overalls, army caps, rubber boots, and carried guns. I'm just going to say real fast, though. I've been kind of nailing Japanese names. Yeah. I've just been feeling pretty good about that. Yeah. Now... Words like the and and, not so much. Yeah, and and sedated. <laughs> I was on a roll. I had the, it was bouncing. It felt good. <laughs> sedated. Whatever. Shut up. Anyway, a former member of the special team who insisted on being anonymous here recalled in 1995 his first vivisection conducted at the unit. Yikes. Quote, he didn't struggle. Uh, when, uh, they, he didn't struggle when they led him into the room and tied him down. But when I pick up, picked up the scalpel, that's when he began screaming. I cut him open from the chest to the stomach, and he screamed terribly, and his face was all twisted in agony. He made this unimaginable sound. He was screaming so horribly. But then, finally, he stopped. This was all in a day's work for the surgeons, but it really left an impression on me because it was my first time. <sighs> That's from the New York Times in 1995. So, yeah. Okay. How you guys feeling out there right now? I just want to know if you guys are feeling okay. Hungry. Yeah? Yeah? You're hungry? Nope, not at all. Yeah. I think I've lost all sense of appetite yeah. in this episode. I just want to make sure that all the listeners right now, we're just going to talk for a second. and we're Listen, we're here for you. We're going to talk you through this. Yep, okay. I'm going to drink some more whiskey. Yep, 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 yep. Uh, and if you have something, I hope you're drinking it. And uh, enjoy, in, enjoy. Enjoy. Because, whew, yeah. Yeah, definitely doesn't. I think this is definitely going to go down as one of the, uh, I'm not going to say the worst episodes that we've done, but in in the sight of the horrific 
yeah. scenes. Yeah. Yeah. This yeah. is definitely one of the worst episodes we've done. It's pretty rough. Yeah. So according to some reports, it was standard procedure at the unit for doctors to place a piece, uh, piece of cloth or a portion of medical gauze inside a prisoner's mouth or, you know, inside the lips before starting vivisection, um, basically just because they didn't want to hear him scream. You know. Fair enough. Because listen, man, like, shh, man, you don't freak out everybody else. Right. Oh, I'm just kidding. Shh, shh, shh. It's only going to hurt for a lot. <laughs> yeah. Even though the jail was pretty secure, there was at least one effort to break out. Yeah. It failed. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I wasn't expecting you to cut it that short. <laughs> According to Corporal Kukichi Nomaritsu's testimony, a fellow unit member informed him that a prisoner had been taken, jumped out of the cell, this is quote, jumped out of the cell and ran down the corridor, grabbed the keys and opened the iron doors and some of the cells. Mm. This is what he came back and said. Gotcha. After, quote, having shown violence and had struck the exp- uh, experimenter, experimenter, that, oh yeah, <laughs> with a door handle. Okay. Only the bravest of the inmates were able to jump free, though. These brave ones, obviously, were killed. Yeah. Saichi Moromuru goes into further depth about his this attempt at escapology. I like escapology. What is it, the study of escaping? Motherfucker, we in a prison being experimented on. That's not escapology. That's called surviving. Yeah, that's called, I want to live. <laughs> uh, in his book, uh, The Devil's Feast. Two male Russian, this is from him, quote, two male Russian prisoners were being held in handcuffs in a cell. One of them was lying flat on the ground and acting like he was sick. Hmm. One of the staff members noticed and decided to go in and into the cell and check it out. The Russian on the ground suddenly sprang up and overpowered the guard. Nice. Whoosh. Got him. Right? Road, roadhouse. Roadhouse. The two Russians yelled, unlocked their shackles, grabbed the keys, and opened a few more cells. All right? Ah, we're free. We're making a break for it. But get the fuck out of here. <laughs> I don't know if that was really horrible. Anyway. Other Russian and Chinese prisoners were freaking out, you know, up and down the halls while shouting and screaming like everyone's like, Attica, Attica, you know. Finally, one Russian yelled at the members of Unit 731, pleading with them to shoot him rather than use him as a test subject. That's how bad it was. Like, just kill me. So the Russian that was laying on the ground that jumped up and started the whole thing was gunned down and murdered. One employee who saw the attempted escape remembered what happened. Quote, in comparison to the Maratas, remember the logs, who had both freedom and weapons, all right, uh, we were spiritually lost. And the Maratas are the guards there, I'm sorry. Yeah. That's the guards there. They called them the Maratas. Or Muratas. Marutas. I'm saying, because uh, Maratas sounds like that's Maracas. Spanish. <laughs> and I doubt that's it. So Muratas. So we knew in our hearts at the moment that justice was not on our side. Even if the prisoners had been able to leave the quadrangle, a vigorously defended facility staffed with guards, okay, because this thing is like crazy way it's set up, like I was talking about, like it's a fortress, they would have, um, they they had to traverse a a dry moat lined with electric wire in a three meter high brick wall to get to the complexes outside. So you're talking nine to ten feet. On top of a bunch of armed guards. And all the wires. And the moat. A razor wire, right? It says electric wire. Electric wire. So, you know, like electric fence? Yeah, but like a high-powered electric fence. Ooh. Yes. Oh, thanks. So even members of Unit 731 weren't free from being subjects of the experiment. That's right. Even the people who worked there subsequently got fucked up. Yeah. 
Yoshio Tomura, an assistant in the special team, recalled that Yoshio Sudo, an employee of the first division at Unit 731, became infected with bubonic plague due to, due to the production of plague bacteria. The special team was then ordered to vivisect Sudo. <sighs> okay, just gonna let's just focus on this just for a second. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, dude worked there. Mm-hmm. They're making this plague. He happens to get sick and catch the plague. Mm-hmm. And they're like, yeah, we're going to cut you up. You do our good experiments. We're just going to do it. Right. Do. Yeah. So about this, uh, Tamura said, quote, Sudo had a, a few days previously been uh, interested in talking about women. But now he was thin as a rake with many purple spots over his body. A large area of scratches on his chest were bleeding. He painfully cried and breathed with difficulty. I sanitized his whole body with disinfectant. When I removed, a rope around his neck tightened. After Sudo's body was carefully checked by the surgeon, I handed a scalpel to the surgeon, who reversely gripped the scalpel, touched Sudo's stomach skin, and sliced downward. Sudo shouted, Brute! And died with this last word. Are you sure it's not Brute? Et tu Brute! I don't see a little, little what's that called over the top? A, sh- a schwanz? A schwanz? <laughs> I see your schwartz is as big as mine. So that's taken from Criminal History of Unit 731. Why do I keep saying 7031? That's so weird. 731 of the Japanese military. All right, uh, from 1991. So now additionally, Unit 731 Youth Corps member Yoshio Shonazuka testified that his friend, junior assistant Mutsua Horikawa, was vivisected due to being accidentally infected with the plague. It's just going around. Well, I mean, yeah, it's the fucking plague. Exactly. It's an epidemic of mass proportions. (laughs) Sorry. You're right over there. <laughs> yeah, this episode's fucking crazy. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, 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 yeah. So now let's talk about surrender and immunity. Yeah, this part's gonna piss you guys off. If you're not pissed off so far, this part's gonna piss you the fuck off. At least I hope so. I hope you guys are fucking just super mad about this because it's. <laughs> so operations Ooh. and experiments continued until the end of the war. Ishii, you know, old commander Butthole, had wanted to use biological weapons in the Pacific War since May of 1944, but he was repeatedly told to fuck off. So with the coming of the Red Army in August 1945, the unit had to abandon its work in a hurry. Ministries in Tokyo ordered the destruction of all incriminating materials, including those in Ping Fang. So now, again, they knew what the fuck was going on over there. Right. Potential witnesses, such as the 300 remaining prisoners, were either gassed or fed poison, while the 600 Chinese and Manchurian laborers were all fucking shot. Again, nobody survived. Ishii ordered every group member to disappear and, quote, take the secret to the grave. Potassium cyanide vials were actually issued for use in case of the remaining personnel, in case they were captured. Kind of funny that they were using cyanide on the captives, but then gave it to the other assholes. Like, if you get caught, this is what you do. Yeah. Yeah. So skeleton crews of Ishii's Japanese troops blew up the compound in the war's final days to destroy any evidence of their activities. Still, they made these motherfuckers to, like, withstand shit. Right. So a lot of them, they remained, they remained, should I say, somewhat intact. 
Which, by the way, we actually had a, a listener that said that they've actually been to where this uh, transpired before. Really? Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Mm. Not, I mean, it's awesome that they were there, but not awesome that the police was ever there. You know, you guys know what the fuck I mean. I hate that I have to keep doing that. <laughs> so among the individuals in Japan after its 1945 surrender was Lieutenant Colonel Murray Sanders, whose name doesn't really sound Japanese, and who arrived in Yokohama via the American ship Sturgis in September of 1945. Sanders was a highly regarded microbiologist and a member of America's Military Center for Biological Weapons. His name is Colonel Sanders. <laughs> Sorry, I had to get that in there. <laughs> His name is fucking Colonel Sanders. <laughs> I didn't notice that. Damn it. <laughs> I can't believe I missed that. I was waiting for you to say something and then you just kind of passed over it. So I just had to interject real quick. I'm sorry. Fucking hell. I can't <laughs> believe I missed that. I am... I'm am I, I'm slipping, man. Wow, this is a very disparaging episode. It is. So I understand. This, this this thing is really fun. seriously. This this episode and the research for this has really messed me up. Like my mind's all messed up. But to me, all I was thinking is it's like all these Japanese names, and it's like Lieutenant Colonel Murray Sanders. I'm like, hey, that doesn't sound not Japanese at all. That doesn't sound Japanese at all. Like, who is this guy? Makes chicken. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a little bow tie. <laughs> I, I'll say I'll say. I hear y'all's making weapons out here. Maybe I could use it on my chicken. <laughs> Maybe that's where he got the seven or the herbs and spices. Oh, God. <laughs> Stop eating it. That's all I'm saying right now. Stop eating Popeyes. Go to Popeyes. Yeah. I do like Popeyes. I, I do too. They're spicy chicken. Mm. Yeah. I just hate how their gravy's always spicy. Everything is Popeyes. It's Louisiana kitchen. Everything yeah. is spicy. But that, that my man, my butt does not like <laughs> any of that. That's all I'm saying. So his duty, Colonel Sanders here. <laughs> <laughs> Colonel Sanders' duty here. <laughs> Talking about your butt, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that was a re- really weird that was, segue. Yeah, yeah that, was. that was really weird. So his duty was to investigate Japanese biological warfare activity, and boy, was there a shit ton. At the time of his arrival in Japan, he had no knowledge of what Unit 731 was. So they're just like, yeah, we need you to go to check this out. And he's like, well, I'll say, I'll say, I'm going to go and check this out. <laughs> 731, maybe 731 herbs and spices. <laughs> I hope people out of this country understand that. We have this place called Kentucky Fried Chicken and Colonel Sanders. Never mind. I'm going to keep going. <laughs> Until he finally threatened the Japanese with bringing the Soviets into the picture, little information about their biological warfare was being shared with the Americans. Now, remember, the Soviets were at this point were actually starting to move in to Japan and over in that area into China and whatnot. So they were a big force to be reckoned with. Right. So... This guy was like, listen, I, I'm going to get them. I'm going to call those motherfuckers. <laughs> like, you better tell me something. Right. You know what I mean? If not, freaking old Boris is going to fuck you up. So that's pretty much what happened. So the, uh, the Japanese wanted to avoid prosecution under the Soviet legal system. Because remember, and we talked about this earlier, the Soviets are the one that went after them, too. Yeah. They don't put up with this shit. Well, I mean, a good portion of their people were, unfortunately, right. used as experiments on it. Right. So the morning after he made his, th- you know, after his threat, Colonel Sanders here received a manuscript describing Japan's involvement in biological warfare. So Sanders took this information to General Douglas MacArthur. We know Douglas MacArthur. You're like, well, I know that name. Oh yeah, he's a stand-up guy, right? Well, he's the supreme commander of the Allied powers responsible for re- rebuilding Japan during the Allied uh, the occupation. So he's obviously awesome. Mm-hmm. So as a result. Old General MacArthur struck a deal with Japanese informants, and he secretly granted immunity to the physicians of Unit 731, including their leader, in exchange for with providing um, us, the Americans, but not the other allies, 
with their research on biological warfare and data from human experimentation. So this... General MacArthur literally said, I'll let you guys go, but I need to know what's going on. You know what the worst part is about... 580,000 fucking people. That's the worst that's going on. Well, yes, that is definitely the worst that's going on. I'm saying when in, re in regards to Mr. Douglas MacArthur here, um, after striking this deal, uh, a few of the uh, people wanted to uh, assassinate him and successfully did. Was he assassinated? Yeah. he. Uh, MacArthur was? His Jeep brake lines were cut and he went off a cliff. It's a Jeep. They probably just broke. <laughs> oh man i drive a jeep <laughs> so yeah anyway you guys heard that correctly so he basically allowed everyone to get the fuck away scot-free and as long as they provided him and only him or should i say him via the united states with the information and nobody else yeah so american occupation authorities monitor the activities of former unit members of, of unit you know 731 including going through and messing with their mail so checking their mail and making sure no one's diamond anybody out or giving any secrets the Americans believe the research data was valuable and didn't want other nations, especially those guys with the sickle. You guys know who I'm talking about. The fucking Soviet Union. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. To get their red hands on the data for the biological weapons, which I think is hilarious that one guy was using them as a threat and the other and us were like, we don't want them to have it. <laughs> Isn't that kind of fucked up? That's super fucked up. Yeah. So the Tokyo War Crimes Tribunal, okay, heard only one reference to these Japanese experiments with uh, poisonous serums, quote, end quote, on Chinese civilians. Weird. Mm. They only heard of one. It's odd. This took place on, uh, on August of 1946 and was uh, instigated by David Sutton. Uh, I actually know a guy named Dave Sutton. It's weird. Yeah. Assistant to the Chinese prosecutor. Again, his name is not very Chinese or Japanese or, or any whatever. The Japanese Defense Council argued that the claim was vague and uncorroborated, and it was dismissed by the tribunal president, Sir William Webb, for lack of evidence. Okay? So now America and Tokyo are all saying it didn't fucking happen. Mm. Almost 600,000 people. Mm -hmm. Oh, boy. Just brush under a rug. Yep. And that's why we are here. We are talking about this. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because fuck this shit. Oh my god. Yeah, and plus, I, uh, to be honest, I didn't know a lot about it, and and I I've heard about it through like other shit, mm -hmm. but like going through this. Oh, I know. As soon as you mentioned it, the one time, and then I was like, we got to do this, and then like I've been wanting to do this for like the last six weeks. So I'm glad I, we were doing it. It's 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 ugh, it makes my stomach queasy. Seriously, like I don't even want to take a sip of this delicious Japanese. Whiskey, and I'm going to take a sip of <laughs> But I didn't want to, is all I'm no, saying. I didn't want, want to. to take that. You should have seen the look of disdain. I know. Face. I was just upset about that. It's really good. Anyway, <laughs> so the subject was not pursued further by Sutton. Okay, David Sutton here, the uh, the Chinese prosecutor's assistant or whatever. So who was probably unaware of Unit 731's activities and allegedly um, a fucking idiot. Okay, we're just going to put it out there. Fair enough. His reference to it at the trial is believed to have been, quote, accidental. Oh, yeah, I, we accidentally dropped bombs filled with plague-ridden fleas on 10,000 unsuspecting people. No, so apparently, so I was reading a little bit further into that, too. So, basically, during the trial or whatever, like, he uh, he mentioned mm -hmm. the, the, the whole 731 thing and whatever's going on, but then he, like, retracted his statement, like, oh, no, no, that was an... I didn't mean to say that. Oh, so he knew. Yeah, exactly. Oh, he knew. That's what I'm saying. Fuck it, it, this is that guy. bullshit. Fuck that guy. 
So while German physicians were brought to trial and had their crimes publicized, you know, during that whole thing, the U.S. concealed information about Japanese biological warfare experiments and secured immunity for those fucking monsters. I mean, perpetrators. I mean, not mon- They're monsters. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Critics argue that racism led to the double standard in the American post-war responses to the experiments conducted on different nationalities. For example, whereas, you know, these monsters of uh, Unit 731 were exempt from prosecution, the U.S. held a tribunal in Yokohama in 1948 that indicted nine Japanese physician professors and medical students for conducting vivisection upon captured American pilots. Two professors were sentenced to death and the others to 15 to 20 years imprisonment. So it's one thing to do it to, uh, you know, thousands of Chinese and Russian people, but how dare you do it to one of us? Yeah. We're only going to get rid of like one or two of you guys. But but that's how how it is. That's how, if you're doing it to the Chinese and you're doing it to the Russians or whatever else, then okay, whatever. The second you you do anything to, to... to us, yeah. and I'm not saying that just from America standpoint. I'm saying that from every, you know, big power nation. If you, if you wipe out, if, okay, Russia. If you were to wipe out, I don't know, Japan or 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 whatever, else, or China or whatever like that. I know China and them are kind of in cahoots. So, yeah, right so let's just say Japan or whatever like that. It'd be like, well, we'll just wipe it over, you know, right. sweep it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't, didn't sound like a sweep. I don't know if that was. <laughs> that was definitely not a sweep. Well, sweep the dick, Johnny. I don't know. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. So it's, yeah. it's just. But as opposed to if you attack Russian civilians and do the same thing, then Russia's now going to have a problem, right? Right. However, I don't know. In this whole thing, and you'll find out, Russia kind of handles it differently. Yeah. yeah. Which I was really surprised by. So though, although publicly silent on the issue at the Tokyo trials, the Soviet Union pursued the case and prosecuted 12 top military leaders and scientists from Unit 731 and its affiliated biological war prisons, Unit 1644 in Nanjing and Unit 100 in Changchun in the Khabarovsk, Khabarovsk, I can't get the V out right, Khabarovsk, Khabarovsk. (laughs) the war crime trials there. So among those accused of war crimes, including germ warfare, was General Otozo Otozo Yamada, the commander-in-chief of the million-man Kwangtung army occupying Manchuria. So they were like, no. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know what I mean? Which it's it's so weird to me when you look at history. Like, Russia was our allies during World War II, right? Like, they were there helping us out. They were fighting from the one front. We were fighting from the other front. Us and the rest of the allies or whatever, right? And then all of a sudden... like, Well, we had a, a, a common enemy. Right. Is what we had. We had yeah. A common enemy. But yeah. then all of a sudden, when the, the enemy was gone, everything just kind of went upsy-daisy. Yeah. I just find that bizarro. Yeah. And then seeing like how they're reacting in a situation as horrific as this, they're like, no. And then us, we're like, listen, mm. uh, we, you know what we should do? We we haven't done creepy Russia yet. Let's fucking do we it. Should, we should dive into creepy Russia because yeah. um, uh, I think it's an amazing country. Oh, yeah. I, I think they've, I mean, culture wise, they've had a, a bunch of horrific shit, a bunch of horrific leaders. I mean, you're talking about going all the way back to the, uh, the, We've talked about it with Rasputin and whatnot. Yeah. You know, that whole thing. Like, it, it's crazy. And we should definitely talk about that. Yeah. Because, but to me, they stood up where the U.S. didn't. Right. That's my point. Like, it just seems, it, it this everything just seems weird. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. So the trial of the Japanese monsters here, or uh, I'm sorry, <coughs> offenders, <coughs> there you go. Uh, was held in Kab- uh, Khabarovsk. Damn it. 
in December. I can't get the V out. I want to get the V out. Kabarovsk. Oh, I got to do the long O. Kabarovsk. Kabarovsk. Oh, I got to say is Kabarovsk. The. That's the. Oh, hey! <laughs> By my rope! So this this happened in uh, December of 1940, and that's a long-running joke if you're new here. Sorry. Space rope. It's space rope. It's Yuri. Yuri yeah. and space rope. So uh, so this happened in Kabarovsk in, uh, Kabarovsk in December of 1949, okay? A lengthy partial transcript of trial proceedings was published in different languages the following year by the Moscow Foreign Language uh, Languages Press, including an English-language edition. Hmm. So everybody can kind of read this thing. Right. The lead prosecuting attorney of the Kabarovsk trial was Lev Smirnov. Awesome. Colonel Sanders and some Smirnov. <laughs> All right. We got chicken and vodka, baby. <laughs> <laughs> this is not funny. Jesus. One of the top Soviet prosecutors at the Nuremberg trials. So he was actually like, you know, part of the Nuremberg oh, trials. Wow, yeah. yeah, that's pretty awesome. You can continue to laugh. You're fine. <laughs> Sorry. Just, <laughs> I saw you hold it in and you look like you were going to rupture. <laughs> the Japanese doctors and army, army commanders who had perpetrated the uni, um, uni, yeah, Unit 731 <laughs> experiments received sentences from the Kobrovsk court ranging from two to 25 years in a Siberian labor camp. <laughs> Fuck that. That sounds horrible, yes, but good. Fuck them. Yeah, they deserve yeah. that. The United States refused to acknowledge the trials, branding them communist propaganda. Mm. The sentences doled out to the Japanese perpetrators were uh, unusually lenient by Soviet standards. Okay, but at least there was fucking, there was something yeah, doled out. You know what I mean? Something, yeah. All but two of the def- uh, the de- uh, defendants returned to Japan by the 1950s with one prisoner dying in prison and, other, and the other committing suicide in his cell. Well, you know, life's not for everyone. Sorry, but yeah. in addition to the accusations of propaganda, the U.S. also asserted that the trials were to only serve as a distraction from the Soviet treatment of several hundred thousands Japanese thousand Japanese uh, prisoners of war. Meanwhile, the USSR, Russia, asserted that the U.S. had given the Japanese diplomatic leniency in exchange for information regarding their human experimentation, and they fucking did. Yeah, I mean, neat. It's, it seems like an ongoing theme that Russia is calling out the U.S. for yeah. things. Yeah, and, da. And then we're like, no, that's communist. That's, that's, that's. Right. Oh, but only when it fits the agenda. Correct. Right. Uh, that's, that's all it is. Only when it fits the agenda. And I, listen, again, I am, I'm American. Mm-hmm. I'm very pro-libertarian, baby. I own guns and I have land and children i own a business and yada 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 and i'm just saying that we've we as a government have done some really fucked up shit yeah and i know it was a long time ago i get that but it still needs to be known that these things have transpired correct and our involvement in it yeah and you know what i mean we may or may not have acted appropriately right and it most definitely did not act appropriately in this yeah so the accusations of both the U.S. and the you know USSR here, the Soviet Union, were true. Okay, so basically one's telling the other one like, "No, you did this," and "No, you did this," and you're both right. Mm-hmm. But guess what? You're both fucking wrong too. Yep. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like both of you, two wrongs don't make a right here, buddy. Nope. But three wrongs, three lefts make a right. Is that what? Is that, what is that how it goes? Three lefts, three lefts make a right. Kind of, what? Uh, yeah, I'm going right uh, now. Does it? Yeah. So, so if you're like here and you go left. And then you go left, no. and then you go left. Now no. you're going right. No, you're not. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you are. Yeah. <laughs> Look at that. <laughs> Learn something new every day. All right. 
So it is believed that the Japanese had also given information to the Soviets regarding their biological experimentation for judicial leniency. Because remember, everyone's saying that, well, they may have put him in prison, but not for that long, considering what, you know, Russia's kind of known for. Yeah. So this was evidenced by the Soviet Union building a biological weapons facility in Sverdovsk using documentation captured from Unit 731 in Manchuria. Yeah, Fuck! I was waiting for that. <laughs> Damn it! They're like, wait, so the Americans can do this, but we, we're the ones killing these bastards? No, we're going to find more like, information. Like like Soviet Union, man, I, I kind of had your back for a second. I know, so did I. I yeah. was like, yeah! Yeah, oh, kind of had your back for a second. So official silence during the American occupation of Japan, um, that's what we're talking about here. As we unfortunately mentioned earlier, during the United States occupation of Japan, the members of Unit 731 and the members of other experimental units, they were set free. However, on May 6, 1947, General MacArthur, the Supreme Commander of the Allied Forces, wrote to Washington to inform him that, quote, additional data, possibly some statements from Ishii, you know, the general, their general dude that ran shit, can probably be obtained by informing Japanese involved that information will be retained in intelligence channels and will not be employed as war crimes evidence. In other words, we don't charge them with war crimes and they'll give us info. Right. Right. One graduate of Unit 1644, Masama Kitaoka, I got it, Kitaoka, there it is, continued to perform experiments on unwilling Japanese subjects from 1947 to 1956. Yuck. While working for Japan's National Institute of Health Sciences, he completed his experiments. He infected prisoners with, uh, Rickettsia? Yeah, it's Ricketts. Oh, ew. Yeah. Ugh. That's a horrible band. Anyway, <laughs> and infected mentally ill patients with typhus. As the unit's chief, Shiro Ishii was granted immunity from prosecution for war crimes by the American occupation authorities because he had provided human experimentation research materials to them. However, from 1948 to 1958, less than 5% of the documents were transferred onto microfilm and stored in the U.S. National Archives before they were shipped back to, the, uh, to Japan. So, after the war, mm -hmm. he's still doing experiments, mm -hmm. and they're like, listen... We're not going to come after you. Just give us the information. And then, <laughs> then he sends less than 5%. That's probably all that was actually usable. Because, I mean, he did a uh, lot of research that really didn't pertain to anything. Like freezing three-day-old babies. I am going to have to take a shower after this episode. I'm not even joking. Is I'm that what just, I'm smelling? I just, I shit myself. Yes. <laughs> yes. You're You're welcome. So post-occupation Japanese media coverage and debate, uh, uh, this is what we're talking about here. So Japanese discussions of Unit 731's activity began in the 1950s, all right, after the American occupation of Japan, uh, Japan ended, all right? So 1950s, we're out of there. Yeah. The U.S. is out of there. In 1952, human experiments carried out in Nagoya City Pedi uh, Pediatric Hospital, which resulted in one death, were publicly tied to former members of Unit 731. Hey, where'd they come from? I don't know where. They gave him seven thirty one. I'm dying on this one, man. This one's seriously. Later in that decade, journalists suspected that the murders attributed uh, by the government to Sanamichi Hirosawa were actually carried out by members of Unit Seven Thirty One. In 1958, Japanese author uh, Shusaku Indo 
published the Sea and Poison about human experimentation in uh, Fukuato, Fukuoka, Fuku, Fukuoka, 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 Fukuoka. Yeah, I like that. That sounds cool. <laughs> it looks like fuck you, okay. <laughs> that's, what it is. that's what it looks like. I'm just saying what it looks like. Fuck you, okay. Fuck you, okay. Which is thought to have been based on an actual incident. So, in other words, this guy wrote this book, basically gave a little too much information. It seems really weird. Yeah, yeah. a little yeah. sus, a little, a little close to home here, bud. Yeah, a little bit. So the author, Saichi Motomura, published The Devil's Gluttony in 1981, followed by The Devil's Gluttony, a sequel in 1983. And these books uh, purported to reveal the, quote, true operations of Unit 731, but falsely attributed unrelated photos to the unit, which raised, obviously, questions about his authenticity because you can't use fake photos. Dude, come on. No. But now, on the hindsight, though, is it possible that he was told they were real and then he just didn't do his due diligence in order to make sure it was it's possible it was i mean it's we in the social media age right now that shit happens all the fucking time yeah and him he doesn't have the accessibility of just jumping online it's 1983 you know what i mean so it's not like you can just jump online and double check shit oh yeah it would take a couple days for him to be able to get any information back online yeah because yeah. the google was ran by seagulls <laughs> i don't even know what Anyway, so also in 1981, the first direct testimony of human vivisection in China was given by Ken Yuasa. Since then, much more in-depth testimony has been given in Japan. For example, the 2001 documentary Japanese Devils primarily consists of interviews with 14 Unit 731 staff members taken prisoner by China and later released. Significance in uh, the, the, the post-war here. So they're still uncovering bones mm -hmm. and bodies and stuff over there like still you know what i mean like unfortunately this is insane just wait until we do creepy russia yeah oh yeah oh yeah so japanese biological warfare operations were by far the largest during world war ii and quote possibly uh with more people and resources than the bw producing nations of france hungary italy poland and the soviet union combined between the world wars Okay, that's crazy. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Although the de uh, dissemination methods of delivering plague-infected fleas by aircraft were crude, the method, among others, allowed the Japanese to, quote, conduct the most extensive employment of biological weapons during World War II. <laughs> you get a gold star. <laughs> yeah, thanks for killing all those folks, buddy. <laughs> Bing bong. What the fuck? <laughs> However, the amount of effort devoted to BW here, BW, that's a great school, Baldwin Wallace. <laughs> by the way, that's biological warfare. Anyway, um, <laughs> it was not matched by its results. Ultimately, inadequate scientific and engineering foundations limited the effectiveness of the Japanese program. Harris, the guy we talked about earlier that you know has talked to us a few times, speculates that U.S. scientists generally wanted to acquire it due to the concept of forbidden fruit, just like the reason that Japan wanted to do the damn thing to begin with, because the freaking uh, the Geneva Convention said not to do it. Right. It's the same shit. Mm -hmm. <sighs> Believing that lawful and ethical prohibitions could affect the outcomes of their research. That's why they don't want you to do it, fucko. <sighs> Unit 731, uh, 731 presents a particular problem since, unlike Nazi human experimentation, which the United States publicly condemned, remember there was all kinds of war crimes and war trials and shit like that. Mm -hmm. There was a guy here from Cleveland, uh, Demyanyuk, that got popped. Yeah, a couple years ago, right? No, 90s. It was the 90s? Oh, yeah. I thought there was another one that just happened like in 2012 or 14. 
May- maybe. I thought so. He was like, but 80, you got to think, eighty nine like, when he stood trial. He had to be older than that. Because if it if it was forty five, yeah, forties, well, you'd have to be. Let's just say he was twenty in that. Yeah, so he's probably like late nineties. Yeah, yeah, hundred ninety. <laughs> no, I don't know. I don't know. No, I'm not sure. But I swear. I swear about. that they there may have been. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought it was like you know what's a weird concept. Hmm. There is nobody alive right now that was born in the eighteen hundreds. Correct. It's fucking weird just to think about. Yeah. You know what I mean? Literally, there was no one alive that was born in the eighteen hundreds. That's crazy to me. My grand great grandmother was born. Well, obviously she was. <laughs> obviously, all of ours were. <laughs> yeah, my my great grandmother was born right before World War II. 30, 32, 28, something like that. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Wow. I'm young, so Yeah. 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 <laughs> so anyway. Going back into this, the reason that they're saying that it's not the same as the Nazi experimentation. Um, the activities of Unit 731 are known to the general public, okay, so people know about this, and only from the testimonies of willing former unit members. So in other words, because there were no survivors. There were no survivors, so there was no way of anyone knowing other than the the details done by the people that actually did the... So it's all either hearsay. did or saw the atrocities take place. That's all you're saying. Right. And that I guess that's what is that what people do is they just say I mean, I, I it's it's a legal standpoint. It doesn't it didn't really happen. I guess. They they didn't have any evidence to prove or back except for <sighs> testimonials from people who helped with the atrocities. So Japanese history textbooks usually reference Unit 731 but do not detail allegations following their strict principles in their country. However, Suburo uh, Lanaga's New History of Japan included a detailed description based on officer's testimony. Good. The Ministry for Education attempted to remove this passage from the textbook before it was taught in public schools because the testimony was insufficient. Doesn't matter. Right. It was a possibility and it might have definitely for sure happened. However, the Supreme Court of Japan ruled in 1997 that the testimony was sufficient and that requiring it to be removed was an illegal violation of freedom of speech you go good on you yeah all right i love that good fuck them in 1997 international lawyer conan oh suchia suchia okay filed a class action suit against the japanese government demanding demanding reparations for the actions of unit 731 using evidence filed by professor makato ueda of rikyo university Honestly, I don't think that the Japanese government in the last 100 years has enough money to give to anybody for what Unit 731 allegedly did. Well, who are the reparations? Hold on. We'll talk in a second. All levels of the Japanese court system found the suit baseless. In other words, no, you're not going to do that. No findings of fact were made about the existence of human experimentation. No findings of fact but even though they're finding bodies there, uh, but the court's ruling was that reparations are determined by international treaties, not national courts. Okay. I guess my question would be, who do the reparation, uh, reparations go to? Well, I mean, they don't necessarily have, because they were kept as... Do they know who the family members of the... Probably not, because the people were listed as numbers. Right, they were just numbers. All we know and just taken off the street. Mostly Chinese. So if the Chinese government was like, well, we want reparations for these families, well, where's it going to go to? The Chinese government? Because they don't know who the fuck people were. It's almost like this shit didn't fucking exist. That's, that, 
Like, you know what I mean? Like, it didn't fucking happen, dude. This is this is the... I'm all right. I'm good. I'm good. In August of 2002, the Tokyo District Court ruled that Japan had engaged in biological warfare for the first time. Presiding Judge Koji Iwata ruled that Unit 731, on the orders of the Imperial Japanese Army headquarters, used bacteri- bacteriological weapons on Chinese civilians between 1940 and 1942, spreading diseases, including plague and typhoid, in the cities of Kuzhou, Ningbo, and Chengde. However, he rejected victims' compensation claims because they had already been settled by international peace treaties. But I thought he just said that the... <laughs> In October of 2003, a Japan's House of Representatives member filed an inquiry. He's like, curious. Prime Minister uh, Junichiro Korizimi responded that the... See, if you go slow with those names, I kind of nail those pretty well. Yeah. I don't know. I actually really enjoy saying those, too. Like, Junichiro Koizumi. 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 Damn it. Responded that the Japanese government did not then possess any records related to Unit 731, but recognized the gravity of the matter and would publicize any records located in the future. So in other words, whatever info they got in, they would let everyone know about, but they just ain't got shit right now. Right? That's what that's what I'm feeling they're saying right now. 2003, yeah. Right. As a result, in April of 2018, the National Archives of Japan released the names of 3,000. 607 members of Unit 731 in response to a request by Professor Kutsua uh, Nishiyama of the Shiga uh, University of Medical Science. That's crazy. Yeah. 3,607. And remember, they were all willy-nilly. They were pretty much allowed to do whatever they wanted and vivisect and murder and frostbite and freaking whatever. So who knows how many of them actually were a part of that? And how much information that the Japanese government still has to this date. Because if it was in their archives, I mean, oh, for sure, probably have all the detailed information of what took place. Right. Oh yeah, I'm sure. I'm sh- they're not going to give everything. That's what I'm saying. Like that. There's no way. So like, what we have is probably only like a fragment of what actually went down. Right. Mm. So after World War II, the Office of Special Investigations created a watch list of suspected Axis collabor- collaborators and persecutors um, who were banned from entering the United States. Okay. While they have added over 60,000 names to the watch list, they have only been able to identify under 100 Japanese participants. Hmm. In a 1998 correspondence letter between the DOJ and Rabbi Abraham Abraham Cooper, Eli Rosenbaum, director of OSI, that's his whole name, Rabbi Abraham Cooper, Eli Rosenbaum. <laughs> a lot, dude. Is a lot. The director of OSI stated that this was due to two factors. While most documents captured by the U.S. and Europe were microfilmed before being returned to the respective governments, the Department of Defense decided to not microfilm its vast collection of records before returning them to the Japanese government. Okay. Microfilm back in the day, if you guys don't know what that is. Do you know what that is? Yeah, I don't microfilm this. All right. It's literally like if you guys, I don't even know. Hopefully you guys remember like 35 millimeter film or whatever. But they used, it was really, really tiny. Thus the name microfilm. Right. And you could take this little ass camera and just take a picture of it. Mm -hmm. And then you'd have the microfilm on there. So they did that with documents because then you could actually like hold them and put them in stuff. and, And it wouldn't be big bulky yeah, you know, and then you brought it back. You could take it to a. Uh, Just look at Austin Powers, the very first Austin Powers movie, when he's over in uh, a lot of Hashina's um, penthouse. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a little tiny ass camera. Yes. That's a microfilm camera. That's that microfilm. He used. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's definitely like a little bit of an egregious example. Uh, yes, but, but it was the best. But one I could come yes, up with. Okay. I, uh, yeah. Come so, 
a lot of vagina. So the Japanese government has also failed to grant the OSI meaningful access to these and related records after the war. In contrast, European countries, on the other hand, have been largely cooperative, the uh, cumulative effect of which is that uh, information on identifying these individuals is, in effect, impossible, never going to be recovered. Okay? So what we, passengers, need to do is we have to keep this shit going. Yeah. This is one of those atrocities that we cannot just let go. And I know that this is not a an American problem or an Australian problem. It's love, a human problem. That's love, all that fucking matters. Right. Love you, Aussies, by the way. Yes. It's not a, a United Kingdom problem. And we love you, too. We love all you guys. I can go through the whole thing, but I'm not going to. All 256 countries. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to go through all that. Anyway, it's not, it's not, a, yeah, it's a human problem. It is. And this is, like, one of the worst things I've ever heard of. And, and I listen to and read a lot of shit. Yeah, so just just keep this going. Let people know about this. And don't, don't stop. In Japan, you guys got to fucking step up. And now, boys and girls, it's your favorite part of the show. The movie review. Which top ten movies will make the cut today? Today? <laughs> your face is so fucking funny. <laughs> Go faster! So, it's the movies! And you guys yeah. know how much we love doing the movies. So Absolutely. today we're going to be talking about the top war movies about war crimes. War crimes. Yeah. That's right. It's gotta, and gotta make it. I don't know how I feel about that because I feel really upset about this whole episode already. I wonder if there's a movie about Unit 731. I'm sure. Oh, yeah. There's got to be right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There was a couple of them. I'm pretty sure. By the way, before we get into this, I just watched that new Nicolas Cage movie. Yeah, how was it? Dude, it's fucking awesome. That's that, what is it, the 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 unbearable weight of being great or whatever? Yeah, it is amazing. Yeah, I can imagine. I honestly have laughed, I haven't laughed that hard in a long time oh, at a movie, at yeah, a movie. Obviously yeah. on here, I'm always like, but I was like crying laughing at this. And so was my wife. She was just laughing her ass off. Okay. So it's it's great. Yeah, so if you guys get a chance, watch that. What, what's it called again? The unbearable the, weight of? The unbearable weight of something about being great. Of having empty glass? Is that what it's called? Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a great movie. If you guys have not seen that, please go watch it. And please let me know what you think about it because it's pretty awesome. So we're talking about the top ten movies about war crimes, right? So we are going to start at number uh, ten on the list, and this is coming from MDBA. So you know how that is. Uh, and I want to know how many of these you've actually seen. So I'm going to say, honestly, I'm going to say none on this list. And I'm not saying it negatively. I'm saying, like, I just don't think you've seen any of these. Uh, number 10 is Dead Presidents from 1995. Uh, yeah, shaking his head. Nope, he's actually filling our glasses with our delicious Japanese whiskey. And the reason we're drinking Japanese whiskey, by the way, too, is that because we understand that what they have covered up and the shit that happened sucks, we still love them as a country, and we appreciate them and respect them. So that's why we're sucking down this delicious whiskey. So yeah, but, I, and it, it's good too, so. and it's good. But I just don't want anyone to be like, "Oh, you're hating on Japan." No, I'm hating on the fact that they've done some dumb shit. But so have we. Yeah, so have we. You know, like, I still drink American whiskey. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I still live here. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of hard to just disappear yeah, on the fucking face of the earth. Going anywhere? Yeah. Anyway, so this is Dead Presidents. Um, it says a Vietnam vet adjusts to life after the war while trying to support his family, but the chance of a better life may involve crime and bloodshed. Dun dun. Dun, dun, dun. I want that one better. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna change that out because we could just record it. Yeah, but I want the actual one from the little guy from yeah, Crudes. Yeah, no. so awesome. 
So anyway, this has got a 6.9 stars, a 6.9 stars, 6.9 stars. Uh, it grossed $24.2 million. Uh, Albert Hughes and Alan Hughes directors. It uh, Lawrence Tate, Keith David, Chris Tucker. Yeah, I, I heard your boy. I heard it's a really good movie. I just haven't. And Freddie Rodriguez. Yeah, the guy comes back from Vietnam and basically has to like start committing a bunch of crimes to raise yeah. money and shit. And it, it gets it gets pretty dark. It's a dark movie. It's good. Yeah, it's good. Not a bad one. Uh, number nine, Casualties of War. I've heard of that one. I have too. seen this one as well from 1989. Grossed $18.67 million, 7.1 stars. This stars Michael J. Fox, Sean Penn, Don Harvey, and John C. Riley. <laughs> I got to get that better. I'll get it better. It's very... <laughs> that was like Kermit the Frog. <laughs> Kermit the Frog. Kermit the Frog doing John C. Riley. <laughs> So anyway, during the Vietnam War, a soldier finds himself the outsider of his own squad when they unnecessarily kidnap a female villager. So yeah, his squad basically kidnaps this chick, and he's like, um, Michael J. Fox's character is not with it, right? And it gets like, you know, real fucked up. You said this is eighty nine, eighty nine, yeah. Dude, John C. Reilly had to have been a young motherfucker in that. I had no idea he was in this, yeah. to be honest, and, and I have to go back and maybe watch he's this like now. In his forties, fifties, and like, like he was definitely like, yeah, dude, what? he's got to be. He's got to be probably late 40s, early 50s. Yeah. He's got to be older than me. Well, yeah, he's definitely got to be older than you. I think he's almost 60 now. <laughs> I don't think he's that old. I mean, he, I mean, he asked me. He was 38 in Tropic Thunder. When did that come out? God, I love that movie. I know. Wait, Tropic Thunder? John C. Reilly was in Tropic Thunder? No, he wasn't. That's the other guy. I don't think mm. the other guy. I'm like... Who are you thinking of? That's Talladega Nights. Yeah. But still, that came out the same year. Yes. So he was actually born uh, May 24th of 1960, 1965. Wow, he's old. So he is Six, 12 years 58. older than me? He's 58. So it's 11 years older than me. Yeah. Yeah. So he's 57. 57, yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's an old motherfucker. Yeah. Number eight on our list is from 2021, The Last Son. Not heard of this one, nor have I seen it. So uh, let's see. It doesn't even have any... It doesn't tell how much it made. Uh, Sam Worthington, Colson Baker, Thomas Jane, Emily Mary, Marie Palmer, an outlaw attempts to end his evil family line. Wow. Hold, please. You know what happened? Hmm. I've got to teach you how to use MDB. So let's go to user rating. Ah. Here we go. Now it's changed. So number 10 on this. Oh, no, I'm not doing this one. <laughs> nope, not doing that. Let's do number of votes. That's perfect. Number of votes. There we go. That'll make sense, right? Nope, it's still weird. It's like all a bunch of foreign movies. Can I go back? <laughs> Can I go back to what you had? Maybe. It, okay, I got it. Maybe I did it the way I did it for a reason. I got it. I got it. I got it. We're just gonna. We got it. It's it's back. It's 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 happening. It's happening. I hope. I don't know where it where did I put it. Where'd That's I, the EMP going off. Oh no. This is just a bunch of dumb stuff. So anyway, um, have you have you not seen um, any of the movies I've mentioned so far? Well, Dead Presidents, I've heard a lot about. Um, but the, what is it called? The... Bill? 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 
why is nothing working? Oh Everything is just broken all of yeah, a sudden. Like, I don't understand <laughs> it. <laughs> like I'm okay. I got it. Ha ha. You get to sit back and listen to me talk now. Huh? Okay. Oh, oh you got it. Are you gonna do it? So this are, is. Are the, you taking over the movies? This is the last son number eight. This was made in 2021. It's an action adventure crime movie. I just did um, that one. An outlaw attempts to end his evil family line. Yes, you did actually do that one. Yep, and that is yep, yep. literally moving the on. only thing it yep. says. Yep. Moving on. All right. So we're going to number seven. Okay. La Llorona of 2019. I've actually heard about this movie. Yeah, this is uh, La Llorona. Yeah. La Llorona. So this says it's 6.6 stars. I heard this is actually pretty awesome, by An the way. An aging paranoid war criminal protected by his faithful wife faces death while being haunted by the ghosts of his past. Director j Rowe, I don't even know who that guy's name is. Bustamante. Yay, Bustamante. Sounds busty. Uh, stars, yeah. Midi, Maria Mercedes Caroy, Sabrina De La Jos, Margarita Kenefic, and Julio Diaz. Right. Yeah. Okay, moving on. <laughs> Number six, uh -huh. 71. That's going to be like the year 71. This was made in 2014. 7.2 stars, 8.83 Metascore. Wow, that's pretty high. Wait, is this? No, this isn't the same one. Um... What are you talking about? Is this the one they like supposedly filmed all in one take? No, that was called like 1942 or something. Yeah, that like, was 1944. I think is what you're talking yeah, about. That yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, a lot of the, that was super. A cool. lot of the takes on that. I saw a lot of the behind the scenes. But in 71, 1971, a young and disoriented British soldier is accidentally abandoned by his unit following a riot on the deadly streets of Belfast. You said unit. <laughs> Better than saying duty. <laughs> I've said unit all night long. <laughs> <laughs> this so stars much. Jack O'Connell, Sam Reed, Sean Harris, Paul. Popplewell. Popplewell. Okay, this grows $1.27 million. Doesn't do very well. 7.2 stars. Yeah. Not too Ooh, bad. Okay, I know this one. Hannibal Rising. But have you seen it? No. I got a 35 meta so. score. Why the fuck would I want to watch it? Dude, it's awesome. Is this the like the, the precursor or the No, the this is the Oh, uh, it's Red Dragon, then Hannibal Rising. So this is the fourth in the movie sequel or whatever in the yeah. whole. The not I guess not a trilogy because there's more than three movies. Yeah, so it's series. the fourth in the series. There you go. Yeah. So after the death of his parents during World War II, young Hannibal Lecter moves in with his beautiful aunt. Oh yeah, this is about young Hannibal and how he becomes Hannibal. Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah, I thought yeah, this was like a kid thing. It's or whatever. a prequel, as they call that. That's what I was right. This is in the precursor. business. In the business, that's called Literally. prequel. So he moves in with his beautiful aunt, begins plotting revenge to the barbarians responsible for his sister's death. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Uh, nobody I know. 27.67 million people. Or million dollars. A million people? <laughs> a lot of people. Wow, he grossed a lot of people. That's crazy. That's a lot of people who grossed. 6.1. per. It only got a 35 meta score. That's messed up. I, I still don't understand meta scores. I don't either. I mean, maybe it's because it doesn't it's like make sense. One of these days I'll research that. It's gotta or be one of you guys just tell us what the fuck a meta score is. It's meta, baby. I see again that uh, anyway number four I caught a spy 2019 uh, in the beginning of World War Wait, II I caught a spy a call to spy oh okay a call to spy okay like you're being called to spy on somebody correct I got it okay I caught a spy sounds better <laughs> that actually is a show isn't that Jackie Chan I, I swear I, I, I caught a or is it I don't remember all right so anyways back to what we were talking about in the beginning of World War II with Britain becoming desperate Churchill or Churchill, whatever the hell you want to pronounce that, orders his new spy agency, SOE, to recruit and train women as spies. Oh, so it's like female spy group. Hell yeah. Oh, this sounds cool. So this got Sarah Megan Thomas, Donna Katik, Radhika Apt, and Linus Roach. <laughs> no idea who any of those no, are. No, no idea. Yeah. All right, moving on. 
Oh, wait, wait uh, biography, crime, drama. Oh, okay. Six so points to start. Okay. It's got to be something to do with something that Churchill actually did. Number three. <laughs> Green Street Hooligans. This is uh, 2005. A wrongfully expelled Harvard undergrad moves to London, where he is introduced to the violent underworld of football hooliganism. Oh, a bunch of hooligans. I love that word. Oh, you see who's in this, though? Hooliganism. Elijah Wood. Yeah, look at the next one. Charlie Hunnam. Is that the guy from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia? No. Who the fuck is Charlie Hunnam? That's motherfucking Jax Teller, boy. Oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize his name was Charlie. Yeah. I thought it was like some Irish No, guy. that's that's Jax Teller. That's awesome. That's crazy. Uh, Claire Forlani and Mark Warren. It grossed $0.34 <laughs> dollars. It grossed $340,000. <laughs> At least they made a profit. Yikes. Or did they? No, they probably lost money on that one. Yeah, they had For to. sure. 7.4 stars on that one. Yeah. But it's got 151,366 votes. I mean, that's crazy. I mean, yeah. That, I might have to check that out. That's weird. That's number three. But number two. Official secrets coming from you from 2019. The true story of a British whistleblower who leaked information to the press about an illegal NSA spy operation designed to push the UN Security Council into sanctioning the 2003 invasion of Iraq. Oh, that's fucked up. Well, actually, I kind of want to watch that. That seems cool. Kira Knightley's in it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Matt Smith. Calm Matt, down. Matthew Good and Rise Ifans. Reese Ifans. Is it Reese or Rice? I'd say Reese. Reese Ifans. Yeah. Reese Ifans. Sounds good. Or Rice Ifans. I fans. <laughs> Rice I fans. This one made $400,000. <laughs> It only got 47,000 votes. Like, I don't understand how this is number two. That's what I'm saying, because I, the and score? the stars are even lower. That's this, what I'm saying. Like the this, meta score. None of this makes sense on the site. I don't know. But this number one makes sense. Now, have you seen this? I've seen most of it. I haven't seen all of it. Okay. I got, it was long, and I kind of fell asleep. All right. But uh, I just like the... Okay, anyways. So this number one is War Dogs, 2016. Yeah. Yeah. Loosely based on the true story of two young men, David Pacuz and Ephraim Devaroli. Ephraim. Who, Ephraim. Yeah. Ephraim Devaroli, mm-hmm. who won a $300 million contract from the Pentagon to arm America's allies in Afghanistan. This stars Jonah Hill, yeah. Miles Teller, yeah. Steve Lance, Greg Wiener. <laughs> Wiener. It's got about 218,000 votes and gross about 43 million. It's not bad. Yeah, it's pretty. That's actually a pretty cool movie. The, all I remember the scene is when he was like in the streets or whatever talking to a couple like these uh, these so called gangbangers or whatever and they were like making fun of him. So he walks over to his car and grabs a fucking ump and just starts firing into the air. He's like, You want to fuck with me now? Like that was like one part I remember. That okay, movie. so I, I want to do something real quick. Do it. I changed it to U.S. box office. Oh. All right. Okay. So I want to see. I'm just go quick through this. Ten is the official secrets that we already discussed. Yeah. Number nine is Omar, which I don't know. Um, A young Palestinian freedom fighter agrees to work as an informant after he's tricked into an admission of guilt by association in the wake of an Israeli soldier's killing. Uh, Adam Bakari. Number eight, Buffalo Soldiers. Mm -mm, Never heard. Uh, it's got Joaquin Phoenix in it, though. Ooh. Yeah. I've uh, heard of that. Then Green Street Hooligans. Amen. A War. The Reports on Salem and Salim. Chicago Joe and the Showgirl. Mm-hmm. Redacted and Mr. Clint. Okay, I, yeah, I don't understand this at all. Um, None of these grossed over ten, dollars $100,000. Oh, nope. Wait. The ones on the very bottom of the list made more money than the ones that are rated number that's one. That's what I'm saying. What is user rating? Maybe that's maybe that's how we do this. I love how we're doing this right now as we're <laughs> recording because <laughs> I just I have to figure this out. Okay, so this one, I did it this one. User ratings. This one makes sense. 
No, it doesn't. No, this doesn't make sense because, I mean, this one has a 9.3 stars, but only seven votes, where the one behind it has 8.6 stars and 46 votes. What the... What is... uh, (laughs) Anyway, moving on. Yeah. So that was our movies. My my beautiful, beautiful, beautiful passenger. I want you guys to let me know who did it better, Dad or myself. Oh, maybe you can take over on doing that. I mean, all right. Give me a chance to, you know. Slam that whiskey, sip baby. Sip on my whiskey. <laughs> all sip right. awesome scissor. No, I wouldn't sip on. I don't even know what that is. I do. Do you? Yeah. It's like cough medicine and something it's else. Night and like Kool-Aid. Sprite and um, usually a Jolly Rancher. Why is a Jolly Rancher in there? Because it's got a, a little extra flavor. It's a little, little present at the end of the rainbow. Yeah. Weird. I never had it before, but it sounds gross. So listen, we hope you enjoyed or at least enjoyed us telling you the story of this crazy, crazy tale. And uh, uh, it's it's rough, man. It's really rough. And it's it's all the people that said that said that they were involved and that actually saw it or whatnot, it it it's not that it's not true. Yeah, no. You know, it's it's sad. It's super sad. And we hope you enjoyed us telling it to you. And hopefully you guys learned something today about something maybe you hadn't heard of before. Yeah. You know, because that's kind of what we do. Because, listen, around here at the train station, history is always here. And it never it's dies. Like, it never dies, man. We love we love our history. And even though it's fucked up. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it is super fucked up. So let us know what you think about it. Go ahead and get on social media. Tell us what you you know you think. Go to any of our we're everywhere, so you can find us on there, or you can go over to the Midnight Train dot com at our official website. You can buy some super sweet merchandise. Hey, super sweet, thank you. Uh, where you can find all kinds of cool stuff, especially the Maurice the Ripper T shirt, which is pretty awesome. Um, I'm uh, planning on getting sheets, oh rugs, okay. And a few other really cool things into our store. So that'll be uh, fun for everyone. Huh. All right. You guys definitely want to lay down in bed at night and wrap yourself up in some midnight train sheets. Especially if it says chew. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to make sure my face is like in some really awkward position. Can my face be like by the crotch? That's where I was talking about. Well, you'd be the ass. Because you're always about every joke. <laughs> no? Moving on. <laughs> Oh, okay. <laughs> I see how it is. <laughs> anyway, you can get yourself some uh, shirts over there. You can get phone cases, so much more. And remember, we do donate for everything that's sent over to us. 20% goes to an amazing cause. And you can get yourself some Dr. Squatch soap. I broke out this new one, and yeah. I can't think of it for the life of me, but it's got these big, like, chunks of something in it. Yeah, It feels so amazing. I love it. So Dr. Squatch is changing the way men approach hygiene by providing, providing, providing all natural, high-quality, healthy products like soaps, hair care, you know, products, colognes, beard oils, and a lot more. They have deodorants now. They got all kinds of cool shit. Nice. They make you feel like a man and smell like a champion, but women like it, too, because it smells amazing, and it feels great, too, on your skin. So all soaps and products are made right here in the U.S. Uh, using the finest all-natural ingredients, not cheaply made or harmfully mass-produced. Listen, get 20% off your first subscription. Head on over to uh, the MidnightTrainPodcast.com. Click on Sponsors, and you know what? Get yourself some soap. It's good soap, all right? And then you're helping us because then we're going to donate, and then you're helping them out. And we do have a new uh, code coming soon. Nice. I, I just keep dealing with them and trying to figure out which one I want to use. Yeah. You know what I mean? So gotta I just got to get it. Got to make it unique. I got to get it done. I, I just got to do it. Just do it. 
So listen, if you like what you've heard from us, and holy crap, today, a lot of work went into this episode, so hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Uh, Just consider being a producer of the show. Become a first-class passenger. Upgrade from coach, baby. Come on over to first class. That's right. That's right. I got you a little towel. I'll give you a little massage. You know, a little martini glass. A little little heated towel on your face. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know. I won't even touch it, dude. I'll give you the tongs. I'll make you do it. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even know. Did you just ruin that? I don't know. It's, uh, maybe or not. I don't, I'm not sure what just happened. You're welcome. So get over to the Midnight Train Podcast.com and click on the Patreon button. All right. Or you can just go to patreon.com forward slash accidental dads for as little as five bucks a month. Seriously, it's like a, a, a cup of coffee. It's, I don't know. You What, what else can you do with five bucks right now? I, don't I mean, know. me personally, a lot. You can always, no, you can't. No? No, you're not helping the situation. What saying, can you do for five bucks? I can listen to all 238 episodes of the Midnight Train podcast. We're not that far ahead, are we? I think we are. Are uh, we? I think it's like 138. 138? Yeah. Oh, okay. We, I can listen to all 138. That's like. But it's the 10. bonus episodes that are important. Like, yeah. I can listen to everything. But for five bucks, like a gas is back up to 399. Oh, my God. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's ridiculous. We're going to give you a. An episode, a bonus episode each week, Not, and then a bunch of cool other stuff, like, like the Halloween yeah. episode coming up. It's going to be so much fun. So if you want to support the show and, you know, get cool stuff, like all the bonuses. like Dude. And the bonuses are pretty, uh, <laughs> last week. Oh boy. Last week, that was... Yeah. We found out some good information about yeah. everybody. Yeah. So just do us a favor. Sign up over there. Help us and then, you know, help yourselves by getting some cool uh, yeah. some help bonus us help episodes. You. Help us help help us help you. <laughs> In the United of States. Stop it. <laughs> I was on a roll. <laughs> Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, Spotify if you're over there. Um, leave us a review because you can do that as well as Apple Podcasts. Make sure you do that as well. That'd be awesome. And we, uh, well, we can't thank you guys enough for all all the love we get. And it's amazing, especially, you know, you guys out there who actually, you know, talk to us because you guys are sweet. It's so sweet. You guys are sweet. Great. (laughs) (laughs) It's been a long day, man. I'm so... And this episode has made it even longer. Yeah, this episode, man, I'm not joking. This one, this one messed with me a lot. I'm not joking. I and spent I, a lot of time doing research. I, like I said, well, it's almost. I want to say it's almost two months ago when we first started talking about this, and I was like, I want to do it. And I've been looking at research since then, reading some books, watching videos. I'm like, holy, wow! This one, I don't. It struck me differently for some reason. Like I, I'm not sure why. I don't know. What, I think it's more the fact that one, nobody survived, and two, people were pushing it off as like it didn't happen, and nobody really was held accountable for no, it. No, there was a mean? couple people like like. like I, 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 it's just one of those things, man. I I sat there and I was just going through stuff and, you know, of course, doing my thing and adding stuff and, you know, whatever, trying to make sure I can read it correctly and whatnot. And I was just like, man, this is not cool at all. Like, n- none of the stuff we really cover is cool. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's some stuff we, we're, that's pretty cool, like the Anticathera mechanism. <laughs> that's pretty cool. Oh, it's very cool. Yeah, it's 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 a pretty cool mechanism. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's a pretty cool mechanism. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I'm saying though? Like this one was a very I don't know, it, it just hit me differently. It hit me differently. It really did. And it, it sucked. Like, ah uh, I, I mean, I feel yeah. good that we're putting the information out there. Yeah, that's all we can do. But in the same sense, I'm like the fact that, that actually transpired and that nobody was ever held accountable for it, that sucks. Yeah. Well, for the most part. You know, I mean names were put out and you know, the Soviet Union 
union did their things or whatever, but before they went stupid and did right. other things. Yeah. Anyway, thank you guys so much for everything you do. For you first class passengers, guess what? I've got, got a little something for you. Oh. Yeah, it's called uh, <laughs> a really loud noise to <laughs> irritate the shit out of you. <laughs> I've got to change that. <laughs> Can you write that in notes real fast to like change that? Jesus. I think when you did it, it was quieter. Yeah, it's just so ear piercing. Listen, thank you so much for your support, your your hard earned money being sent over to us to keep us going, man, because you really do. To all you amazing, amazing first class passengers, you producers, you poopers, whatever the fuck you want to be called, to George DeJesus, Mega McTerry, Tomislav Soboda, Amanda Denz, Chris Lucas, Zachary Danielson, Joseph Aramo, Margaret Dempsey, Kelly Ryan. Uh, you notice how I, when I say uh, Aramo, I'm like Aramo? I uh, know, I like the little roll. Uh, Aramo. I, yeah, that's good. Yeah. Uh, Margaret Dempsey. Uh, can I do that for the wrestlers? Margaret Dempsey. Margaret Dempsey. Ooh, Kelly Ryan. Nathan Diekman. Your name, I can't do it, dude. <laughs> Stacy Luconan. Nicholas Cooper. Caitlin McKinney. Trent Scott. Trent Scott. Ooh, Trent. Trent Scott. Spencer Dunlap. Jacob Cook. Maggie Brother, you guys all have the whitest names ever. <laughs> Miles Campbell, Brian Gunzelman, Colleen Cox, Pumpkin Escobar. You see yours, Pumpkin Escobar. Ooh, Ooh at the end of that, that you was, got that little that was, that was Pumpkin sexy. Escobar. Uh, Mac Doherty, Turner Cox, Sydney Sayer, Gina Madison, Janet Sherrell, Chad Flint, Chris McLeod, Justin Kowalczyk, Rob Webb over there at the Fun Box Podcast, Christina Skelton, and Jessica Bartolome are girls from the Sisters Skelton Podcast. I didn't realize you were saying our girls. Like I said our girls. I was like, yeah, they are. <laughs> our girls. Our late, our friends. Yes. Over at the Sisters Skelton. <laughs> are, are, they are girls. By the way, you're not wrong. <laughs> I, 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 unless I'm incorrect, and I could be, I'm pretty sure they are. Uh, to Maria Gibbs, to Chainsaw. You know what? Fuck you, Chainsaw. Oh shit, Chainsaw. I'm just quitting. Just quitting. <laughs> I'm tired. What the fuck? To Jigsaw, Rick Resler, Courtney Bachelor, Katie Brabinick, and of course our boy. Bill Birch. Oh, good for you. Why is it I don't know why so I always gravelly. do that. I don't know. Oh, good for you. Is that better? It's, oh, good for you. Oh, good for you. Hey, is that better? There it is. That's all much right. better. I just needed you to do it. That's, That's all. good. I had a good right. refresher. But I can't do it every time. No, but I, I got it now. Okay. You, yeah. got the, you got that? That was for you, Bill. Yeah. Oh, good <laughs> for you. No. No. <laughs> Well, we had it. We lost it. It's all good. On to the next episode. <laughs> that was wow. So listen, spread the word. And if you want your name to be mentioned on the show and for me to screw it up and, I don't know, make fun of it. And maybe if it sounds very good when I say it like this, Ooh. like Pumpkin Escobar. You're like on that. I like it. I mean, think about that. Like, say that. Say it. Say it. Say yes. it with Pumpkin Escobar. See? Oh, yeah, it does. That's what I'm saying. It feels feels good, good, right? Now do the same thing, but say uh, Bill Birch. Bill Birch. (laughs) Ooh. See? Uh, Ooh. I could do it with all of them. All right, hold on. Katie Brabnick. Katie Brabnick. Okay. Got another one? Uh, Yeah, Chainsaw. Chainsaw. (laughs) (laughs) Does not work. Yeah. (laughs) 
Uh, anyway, do us a favor. Sign up on Patreon. We got some cool stuff happening. And, of course, we're doing all the, uh, you know, the, the great stuff with the, uh, the wonderful people over at, uh, you know, the Save the Music Foundation. Oh, yeah. Don't forget that. So we're giving 20% of our merchandise sales and our Patreon sales to them because they're amazing and we want music to stay alive in schools. So yes, please. just do us a favor and sign up. And, yeah, this is a long-ass episode. Yeah, but it's definitely worth it. Yeah? I mean, yeah. I don't know about the, uh, the good-for-you thing, but we can edit that out, right? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you guys so much for everything you do for us. And just do me a favor, all right? Stay safe out there. Passengers, all of you, first class, coach, you know, sleeper. Stay safe. And don't let history die. All right. And as always, choo-choo, motherfucker. Now go home and get your fucking shine box. And just don't do bad stuff. And pumpkin escobar.